Welcome to the Mortal Realms. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigma. Your allies through the Realm Gate this episode are... I'm Davey and I just joined Slagos Coven of Sorcerers. I think it's going to work out really great for me. And I'm the great Eric Clean One. I'm Kelly of the Vine, Lego my queen seed. In this episode, we'll be heading back to Garan as we cover Wardens of the Everqueen by C.L. Werner. Loris Grimm, Lord Castellant and current leader of the Steel Souls, the Chamber of the Hallowed Night Stormers, is uh, sworn to carry on the mission of finding and protecting Alariel the Everqueen. We will also be gushing over an amazing Sylvaneth army created by our special co-host this episode, Kelly Freiburg. Did I say that right? Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, thank you, Kelly, for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. How are you doing, Davey? I'm doing all right. Glad to be back behind the mics here. I know. I feel like it's we recorded a couple episodes pretty close to each other and did the editing and then put them out over a couple months. Got super sick of each other. And uh, then we said never again. And then I played a whole bunch of games and now I'm ready to get back and talk about it. So, yeah, um, um, well, so is our we have our special co-host, like I alluded to in uh, some tweets, and that is uh, Kelly Freiborg, all the way from Seattle. Um, not over the pond this time, just yeah. over the continent. People know Kelly better as at Kel Frey. Yep. Right? That's All right. right. And uh, and loving uh, the, the work you put out on modeling and, and hobbying and that sort of stuff. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your Warhammer story, how you got into it, and how you uh, learned to paint so well. I think that's what I'm most interested in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a big secret. Um, well, I started in with the Warhammer probably about six years ago, uh, just as a hobby that some of my friends were into. They actually found out that I could paint. I've always painted and done crafts and that kind of a thing. So, of course, when some friends of mine figured out that I could do that, this was the immediate hey check this game out kind of thing and I took to it right away I really liked uh, I liked the feel of the game and I liked the look of all the models I thought they were really exciting so I got really into painting everything Um, not so much on the modification and to start out with can you remember a model that that really grabbed you that was early on you're like yep I want to paint these was there was yes the first model that I really wanted to paint was the green knight actually Um, nice oh classic I did three times Never finished, and the one that you see on the on my Twitter feed right now is the third one that I did, and finally was happy enough with it to get close-ish to finishing it. I still don't want to call that one done, but <laughs> so are the other two sitting on the shelf, or did they did they go somewhere else? What what they went, happens to the? They went somewhere else. There's a graveyard of Green Knights uh, <laughs> in my like, bits bin, basically. Oh, I was oh. I was imagining like holes in the backyard where yeah. you know. <laughs> Models you were furious at were buried. A very tiny graveyard, no. <laughs> <laughs> like literally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very cool. All right. So Green Knight grabbed you and then uh, started painting. So was it was it all in on painting six years ago? And also no. you talked about – no? Okay. So I kind of just did it as an off-time hobby. Um, I like to paint to relax myself anyway, so I just started painting tiny guys instead. And I kind of did it um, just one at a time for different competitions that were coming up but just like the local games workshop. So it would be a unit or a guy, that kind of a thing. Um, Probably about four years ago, I got really into the Vampire Counts army, and I had had kind of a semi-quarter-of-the-way painted army, but I just never finished anything. So my big goal this year, um, starting in the fall, actually, was to get an army 
army done for Adepticon. So that was my big push, and I finally actually got the army painted, and that's all the Twitter spam that you see with my Sylvaneth now. Yeah. Was that, did that feel, it always feels for me when I've got an event, it's a double-edged sword. Like, I'll finally get the progress that I've been hoping to get for so long, but it's, it's, uh, the pressure is, is, uh, sometimes a little draining, takes a little bit out of you. Did you enjoy the whole run up or were you, were you feeling the heat of trying to get ready for Adepticon? Both. Um, Both. Twitter was actually immensely helpful in me finishing my army. Uh, I had not, I had a Twitter account again for a really long time that I didn't use for anything other than kind of chit chat with friends and mm-hmm. reactivated it and set it all up to post progress as I was doing it, just kind of more to motivate myself and be like, okay, you got this done, you can get something else done and ended up getting a whole lot of really positive feedback from the Twitter community. So that, that kind of egged me on to get more and more stuff done, but I still, um, I think most people, when you're working on stuff, it's never quite done the way you want it done mm-hmm. out of it. So I ended up going to Adepticon with, you know, probably a, a third of the army, not quite to the finish level I would like it to be. So like yesterday, I finally finished the green uh, series of dryads that I had with all the highlights and lowlights that I wanted to put on them and the base finishing and everything. So it was done-ish when I brought it to Adepticon, but it was not done. Yeah, I was worried that after Adepticon, we wouldn't see any more of your Sylvaneth uh, like popping up on Twitter. But I was glad to see that there was some more of that left to left to give. So um, that's really cool. And I've I've got some Sylvaneth and and a couple. I've got one. Tree I can Lord see it done. from here. Yeah, Tree Lord. Um, and so I'm I'm definitely going to be looking at that stuff when I time to get inspiration uh, and start painting on those. But not yet. I got plenty else to do before then. Yeah. Um, so what about um, so? Age of Sigmar, you'd played locally. What kind of got you into going all the way to Adepticon? And, I mean, this is Age of Sigmar's, the the new version and all that kind of stuff. Is there part of that that kind of played into getting into a tournament setting? Um, it was it was kind of an encouragement for me that it was a new format. Uh, I figured maybe it would be less people registering for things and it might be a little bit less intense than kind of a set community. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, what the hell i might as well go try it and if everyone's a jerk i can drop out after the first few games but <laughs> <laughs> contingency plan right right <laughs> i was mostly wanting to go and kind of check out the event and see what it was like and if i wanted to go a following year and then also kind of check out the community as a whole and see what it was like so i figured one of the bigger ones in north america would be probably a good starting point for that yeah did it leave a, live up to the uh to your expectations there as far as getting a a, a good snapshot of the community oh yeah far exceeded it i had a blast there um i actually ended up going out by myself and just kind of hung out uh in the bar or around the venue and talked to people as they would either come up to me or i would go up to people and you know ask questions about armies and things like that and everybody was really really nice so i was nice. very excited about it actually left adepticon more excited to paint more stuff and go back to more events that so was great so what's so what's next on your table then? Death. <laughs> Do you have a certain flavor that you're heading towards? Yeah. So oh, no, I have seen this. Okay, I've seen some of this. Duh. Yeah. So I thought up but, a scheme for my death yeah. army, and I'm calling it Ladies and Skeletons. So <laughs> nice. It's, yeah, it's all uh, basically vampire ladies yeah. and then uh, skeletal army and ghost parts for the death army. The- it sounds like a roller derby team name too. Right, so. <laughs> yeah, if it gets stolen, nice. I, I need to get that copyrighted. I guess. Yeah. Well, very, very looking forward to seeing that. That's my uh, best army. Is my mine's birds and bones. So uh, a little birds bit different. Bones, but the yeah. the skeletons like that theme is just. I don't know. I like 
I'm I'm tempted by the flesh eaters. They're a little gory for me, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm I dig the I dig the bones. So yep. very cool. We're looking forward to uh, seeing how that progresses. And again, thanks for coming on onto the the podcast tonight, um, Davey. What have you been up to? Besides saving lives, not not nearly as much as the other two folks talking here, but uh, mostly getting excited for Holy Havoc and uh, working out a plan there. Mm. Um, and at one point, it was looking like you might not be able to make it. It was just in time for me to get super excited about expanding my Slanesh and making some big plans there. And then you were back in, so yeah, I had. Now the... I'm, I'm hyped on two projects here. Cool, cool. So. No, yeah, so glad I could help you out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I needed. So. Um, yeah, so that's that's a big thing, and uh, I, I guess uh, getting the the rest of the slanish on uh, on the ovals and rounds uh, got the got the motivation. It was just one of those things. Once it gets some momentum, it's uh, it's fun again. So, and uh, one thing that built momentum, uh, you you ran a game for me and uh, Paul Wagner, PJ Shard. It was a little sort of uh, game mastered RPG. Bring some heroes in. Uh, yeah, a little. Yeah. A little interesting given the the latest news or yeah exactly you know, other stuff but uh uh yeah so we I do you want to talk about that or you want me to talk about that you, I'll let you what, I'll let you well, uh, why don't you do it because oh I've already got gosh. I've got a bunch right. of other games I get to talk about so. okay yeah yeah actually this is the other part of my hobby has been being super jealous of you playing so many games it's uh, a valid part of your hobby I yeah can. exactly <laughs> vicariously through others uh, as as far as actually that's a that's a help for Twitter for me I get to get to see other people playing games no kidding right. Yeah, so you you ran this as a, sort of a narrative scenario. Uh, each each uh, Paul and I each took twenty five wounds worth of heroes and uh, worked our way. You'd kind of clear a board and move on to the next uh, attempting to recover an artifact. And uh, I got my my Skaven out for the first time. Yeah, you put a, a poll up on Twitter and Skaven won in a landslide. Which I, I voted for so Skaven was, on that. I think. Yeah, good. That was I was that was my vote too because I'd never nice played to get those some, dirty rats out. Yeah, it was nice to kill those dirty rats. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, it it started out pretty grim for me. I, the, I stepped onto the first board and uh, warp fire thrower popped up and one shotted my uh, demonet on seeker chariot. I was like, mm, okay, so that's going to be a problem. There's a, that's uh, I've got two games in which I uh, had regrets, <laughs> and that was one of those. No, it was good. <laughs> it, it put the put the pressure on right away. It was it was a uh, it, it was fun. Each each board. Uh, tell me again who is who is the fellow who uh, set up the rules. So the 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 realm quest uh, is a battle plan that came from Gorilla Miniatures from Ash. Okay, and he played a couple of them on, on his YouTube channel. So definitely go check those out. But yeah, I wanted to try it. The thing I did differently is we split it, so it was a head to head kind of thing. Yeah. Um, his versions was uh, a player versus a GM basically, okay. um, and. Once you hit a board, you get a wave of enemies. Mm-hmm. You dispatch them. Yeah. You collect treasure. Each of your heroes rolls to see if they find a, a, a treasure of some sort. Yeah. And then you make it to the final board, which is a boss. Yeah. And in this case, I wanted you both to arrive there and, and it, see who killed the boss and retrieved the relic. It ended up being, you know, for first time out, it ended up being real nicely balanced. Paul and I both got to the final board right about the same time, and I just got there a little bit faster. I had my... Uh, you collect the items on the way as well as you clear each board. You get to to, to boost up, and so my uh, Lord of Slanesh on the on the steed already got a minus one to hit. She picked up some for additional, so she's running around with a minus two to hit her, which was uh, clutch. But out of my starting twenty three wounds, I think I had three heroes left with four wounds between the three of them when I uh, yeah. when I closed it out. And but uh, yeah. it was fun. The other thing we got to do is uh, you had us write up some background for it, and uh, I really enjoyed. 
it all these ideas I'd been thinking about, you know, when you, you put together an army and you kind of have a story floating around in your head, I finally got it down on, on, uh, electrons, if not paper. And that was, yeah. that was real fun. It was part of, part of what got me motivated. So. No, it was cool. And that yeah. made it fun for everybody else coming yeah. to the night. And we had a buddy who was just showing up who got to see it too. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, no, that was really cool. Really cool. Anything else that, uh, you got to do since we last recorded? That's, uh, that's all, all, uh, put to words here. I know, uh, I know you got a lot more uh, to talk about, so. All right. I will, uh, it's definitely been a different phase since uh, some of the last ones. Uh, I'm so for work. I'm super busy. We're about um, oh, not even a week, week and a half away from a soft launch of new software. So some crazy like should be the busiest ever. But I'm I'm making time to balance it all out and be with family, etc. So I got six games in since we last uh, last recorded. I got two games in with uh, a new friend, uh, Joe Cryer, up in uh, Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, he does some really cool. He's got um, some really cool um, Zinch-themed corn stuff. Um, he's got some, like, blood letters that are, like, fading. Like, they've been stuck in the Crystal Labyrinth so long. Oh, wow. That, like, their red is fading, cool. and they're turning to blue kind of thing. All and right. He's got some... Uh, um, are there pictures up of those Skull anywhere? crushers on, I mean, on demigriffs. Oh, man. All right. So th- some, some cool stuff. And he's got a... Yeah, so some, some cool things. Played a couple games against him with my Stormcast. Um, uh, managed to, to pull out wins on both of those, realize that Stormcast can accidentally do a lot of shooting if you're not careful. <laughs> like, I only have one unit of Judicators, yeah. but I got, like, I've got a Heralder who's shooting things. I've got uh, yeah. the Castle on a Foot who's shooting things. All the Kothian Guard are shooting things. It's just a, just silly, a little yeah. bit. So, and then I added a Hurricane, <coughs> hurricane into my list. Band kids overpowered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, and then played Nick Fenske against his um, his uh, flesh eater court, and I didn't feel bad anymore for my <laughs> shooting. Yeah, I heard that uh, was pretty hot. So I uh, had uh, managed to do like three to f- two to three wounds on each of his heroes because of um, the heralder hitting terrain. I was able to do some more wounds, uh, take out a thirty unit of flesh eater of ghouls, um, and crunch up with some uh, Dracothian guard um, into dogs which seems like they would go down pretty fast but not with a corpse cart by them and then his uh, mortis engine just decided to heal them all back to full <laughs> and then his uh, cryptors broke ate, your heart ate, ate every last bit of sigmarite uh, <laughs> in my army uh so it was it was a fun game though it was uh his second game and he's pretty pumped about the hobby and his his undead are looking fantastic um i played a game against uh paul this was an interesting other kind of alt battle plan it was kind of like it was another hero like you have a team of heroes and you're trying to play basically capture the flag but you're running up the board getting um power-ups and i i did not have the movement like it's one of those things where certain battle plans you just got to really think about what army you bring right um and so more dracothian versus his uh spiders would have been really good um but i had one uh one fun turn where my lord celestin on dracoth with his sigma shield um got into the middle of six goblins on spiders yeah or was goblins on wolves that were played as spiders i don't remember with my attacks managed to kill one of them but managed to kill the rest of them by reflecting off uh, wounds off his shield. Oh, bouncing them all back. Yep. Uh, when you re have to, you reroll ones, and when you do successfully reroll a save off of a one, it bounces a, a one mortal wound on every model within or every unit within three inches. Okay. And each of those models was a different unit. 
So, so I just tactically t- rolled a bunch of I just had to roll then, yeah. basically three uh, to take out the rest of those. Nice. So it was fun. But they respawn, and you're down the field, and all this kind of fun stuff. So it was, it was really fun to get out. And then I played against um, our friend Aaron. Um, I think it was like his second game yeah. uh, since it came out and first since he's uh, had his new one. Uh, so it was just nice getting him out of the house and uh, that sort of thing. Painted. I'm 80% done on my Celestial Hurricaneum. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring that thing to the table, you better paint it. And it's like it makes you earn it, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I had I've painted every single piece of it separate, which I've I've done some like sub assembly stuff, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is like <laughs> like I had all the parts laid out, painting them separate, trying to get all. Uh, yeah, it's I'm earning like a it. Separate diagram so you can actually figure oh. out what's what's yeah. And everything's so small and tiny. And uh, so, yeah, it, it worked my skills. I'm feeling good about it. Um, I don't know how much I'll make it my own as far as conversions because it is kind of this cool kit in of itself. Um, but but part of that is because the other thing I'm doing is I'm building a ramshackle uh, war altar for my chaos re- – what do you call them? Redeemed. The reformed okay. chaos um, devoted. Uh, so I've got some ideas for some like tainted – humans which is an interesting thing um 100 of my storm casts are based and base coated uh, let's see one piece of gray up there um and a couple of pieces but then uh the dracothian guard of the new stuff and that's about it uh oh painted one orc brute uh, <laughs> <laughs> and i i love these guys they're so cool i did a pink and purple scheme uh but uh, it kind of turned out I was, was imagining, but not quite. Yeah, I remember talking to you, and we were, we were pumped about destruction. And then the next day, I'd noticed on Twitter that all of a sudden you had a whole bunch of orcs. Somehow. Yeah, I just had the one box. In, I actually had the. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't keep the the, the weird boy or oh, weird okay. knob. Uh, but then I also been for our holy havoc stuff. Been working a little bit on just. I've got some experiments going for some sand bases. All right, just as a little little hint yeah. there. Um, so that's, uh, that. And then last but not least, um, I've been working on some age of Sigmar tokens, some status tokens. Um, and I've had a prototype around for a while, played them on a bunch of different games, given some away, etc. We, uh, had them at, uh, uh, when we were at Wapaka, et cetera, I got some feedback from people around, uh, the, the Twitter sphere and I finally have them ready. Um, and they are available um, you can either download a DIY set for free. You just you go to the the page of the store page. You can just download it and make your own tokens. All it costs you is a high five. If we yeah, meet you super in high five. So, yeah, yeah, say say thanks or let people know. Share it with other people. Whatever you want to do. It has our information, so more people will listen to the podcast and just have fun playing. But if you want to support the podcast, um, you can get them at thegamecrafters.com/slash/games/slash. Uh, Mortal dash realms dash status dash tokens, and we'll have that up on Twitter like crazy. If, in the show notes, and then the show notes. Um, but it's fifteen bucks for sixty tokens. They're sweet, like laser cut, double sided, double sided. So there's over thirty statuses. Um, so playing your games, these is a base set should work with every single army. Yeah, doesn't have the nuances of like, you know, some armies can boost plus three run or something like that that may not be covered it's but. good to get you started across across the board and yeah. all that sort of thing and it's tough when you try to track all these things with dice and pick them up and roll them and all of a sudden nobody knows how many yeah so <sighs> there's okay. a lot that's, of that's, <laughs> so that's everything i did since uh we last chatted uh it's been a lot of fun kind of trying to keep the activity high in the hobby as i've been keeping it high at work and at home and stuff so 
balance, right? Right. Got to make that balance. All right. So let's head into the community phase. The community phase. In the community phase, we talk about news and events that are significant to the AOS community. This week, we're going to talk about the TGA, the Grand Alliance community. Kelly, have you checked this out yet? Have you seen this kicking around? Yep, I have. I'm signed up for it. Cool. So this is uh, started by Ben Curry of the Bad Diced um, podcast. And I think he's really looking for cool ways to support the community. And there's so many different communities, uh, Age of Sigmar communities. Um, There's the Twitter community. There's a a number of Facebook communities, which I think kind of blends. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a YouTube community of people broadcasting, you know, videos on YouTube that don't kind of bleed into some of these and others. There's the podcast community that gets connected in different ways. There's bloggers out there. And so what this is hoping to do is uh, kind of pull all those sources of AOS content together so that an and to be a really positive place uh, for discussion around Age of Sigmar so that new players coming into the game and you know, people who've been playing it a long time have a have a place to come. It's kind of like a, a social all points for yeah, yeah. or well I mean now that all points is controlled by chaos that may not be right, as so, good of an analogy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh <laughs> maybe all points in the age of myth. Let's fair enough. Let's go there. Um really didn't want to work into that metaphor for too long. But yeah, no okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kelly, have you been posting uh, some of your uh, Sylvaneth over there? Uh I haven't. I haven't gotten into that yet. I've just been kind of checking it out for news and stuff and to see what everybody else is talking about. Yeah. Well, we have um, over there, uh, Ben gave us a section. Uh, so if you go in the forums and go down and you go to the podcast section, um, we do have a section uh, for that each of our episodes has its own thread. If you want to come and make fun of us or tell us about, how wrong we were. Yep, yep. Or, uh, you know, share something. Or uh, what I may do is uh, see if, Kelly, we can put some of your um, Sylvaneth up on a post for this episode. Yeah. Um, just to say hello and that sort of thing. Um, but it's a great way to, could be a great way. So it's a time of exploration and experiment. So, um, go over to TGA.community, um, no.com, no dot anything else, but TGA.community. And then the other thing that, that Davey mentioned is for community is that team mortal realms is going to holy havoc, but we're not the only ones. No, that'd be a pretty lame event. Yeah. I mean, no, we'd have a good time. I mean, but. yeah, it'd be like basement. <laughs> hammer. Um, <laughs> And uh, Kelly, you're going as well. I am. And who's your teammate? Um, I am going with Tyler from, uh, he's on Twitter under Scrubby and Wells. Yeah. yeah. Love that guy. He's great. And if anybody, if he still has some eBay stuff, go check out his eBay stuff. Um, he's yeah. selling some of his amazingly painted stuff for personal reason. Um, so go check that out. Go buy some super amazing painted stuff for super cheap. How'd you get uh, connected there, Kelly? Was that just uh, Twitter Twitter friends said, hey, let's... Uh, Yep. I need a a new partner. Cool. Yep. We end up kind of liking each other's painting quite a bit back and forth. And he just uh, got a hold of me and said, Hey, I saw you were at Adepticon. Are you planning on going to Holy Havoc? And I said, Not yet. But he said, Well, (laughs) we got some armies that can go together. Do you want to go? And I said, Absolutely. So I was actually uh, planning a trip out of the country. So I'm kind of just adjusting some plane tickets and making a little pit stop in the Midwest on my way out of here. Yeah. It's on the way to anything that you might be going to. Sure. Nobody <laughs> wants to use the Midwest as a pit stop. <laughs> <It's>, 
I hope I hope that the tournament is worth it. <laughs> I'm originally from Minnesota, so oh, I, no, I, all right. Then you you know our A's and our O's. I do. <laughs> so do you guys have a do you guys have a plan for your your armies? You, or you can't pump them for information this early, man. You can't stop yeah, me. I, I'm not giving away the battle plan here. <laughs> all right, all right. It's going to involve trees. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> News at eleven. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. Um, so no, that's really cool. Um, uh, so. Uh, as everybody knows, I'm not much of an event goer, and I almost couldn't come to this event. In fact, I'm paying extra points uh, mm-hmm. for you know, kind of getting out of some other things. But uh, this is the type of event that I mean, since we started the podcast, um, we've we've wanted to support and have thought you know, AOS is perfect for yeah. narrative, event, narrative events, um, you know, um, skewed battle plans, yeah. um, just kind of going and and with the point of having fun, not worrying about balance necessarily sure. and that's been the the vibe from most people i see heading out there kelly have you ever done a, a team event i'm, I'm guessing if adepticon is one of your first and probably no yep have not okay yeah me neither I, i've done a lot of events but never a team so i'm really looking forward to that so we've got the tga dot community and we've got holy havoc coming up and we'll be talking more about that um in the next episodes for sure yeah the story phase in the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. We first visited Garan, the Realm of Life, in Episode 4, where we watched the Hallowed Knight Storm Chamber, known as the Steel Souls, led by Gardas, where they came to free the Gates of Dawn and find Alario the Everqueen. And after an arduous campaign, the Steel Souls indeed found the hidden pocket realm, Athelweird, where she was hiding, and unfortunately led an army of the unclean straight to her. Led by Torglug the Deceiver, they meant to capture the Everqueen for Nurgle himself. Unfortunately, Gardas was consumed, leaving Loris Grimm in command. And this is where we pick back up. All right, so we've got Wardens of the Everqueen. How excited were you guys by the fact that we're heading back into uh, Garan after you know the two-parter that we got early on? Where we, I mean, picking the story back up. I mean, it was a pretty big cliffhanger of them in Athelweird in battle cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Were you guys excited to get back into this one? Yeah, definitely. Um, I always like to see what's going to happen next, and it's it's a double bonus when it happens to be an army that I'm working on. So I always get excited for new books coming out, but this one in particular, I was very excited for. Yeah, I think that's always it's always an extra boost if it's something you're going on. I remember at the time being a little like, oh man, I was hoping to you know see something else that we haven't seen before. But interestingly, and we talked about this, you know, the realm of life. You think of it prototypically as these jungles, these forests or whatever. And this was a cool, different look. We'll, we'll get, there's a little bit of ice in this book. So yeah. we get to see what that looks like here. And what was also different is compared to the campaign book that came out where there was um, novels to cover all of the stories that were also in the campaign book. Oh, right, yeah. This one was the first that was a little a kilter. And this was the first large um, novel. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't remember the word count, um, but this was a big Basically a full-length novel, and yep. it was only representing uh, certain portions of Balance of Power. So in Chapter 1, we're reintroduced to Torglog, uh, the despised, uh, a champion of Nurgle, um, as, he, as he's destroying a gargantuan tree lord. Um, his only goal is, to, like, he's, he's got to capture Alariel, bring her back to Nurgle, where there's a special cage for her, or place for her to go, um, so that Nurgle can have her forever. Awesome. Way to, to be the chauvinistic uh, emblem, buddy. Um, and uh, so he's he's taken this army into Athelweird, and they're there. Um, and while he's destroying this gargantuan tree lord, 
um, Alarial and the Stormcast retreat. Setting the tone for a lot of this book. I mean, they spend a lot of time retreating here. Yeah, for most of this book, the Nur- Nurgle is right behind. The Nurgle army is right behind them. Tur- Torglug and his crew are right behind them. And this is an exodus of the Sylvaneth, uh, cruising through the forest. A key thing, so as they're kind of fleeing, Grimm uh, is talking with Angston, uh, a knight Vexilor, and he's kind of concerned about whether or not the tree, the treekin, the, the Sylvaneth will, I don't know, leave them behind because they're moving at quite the pace. You know, will they leave them behind? Are they, you know, do they accept their help? Because at the end of the, the last story, they did lead the Nurgle army into this secret place, right? right? Yeah. We found you and we brought... We tracked in some something on our shoes here. So. And and Grimm just basically makes a note and says, they're our allies, not our friends. Mm. So he makes a very clear distinction up here at the beginning um, of what the relationship is. And as they're fleeing, it's interesting because the, there's trees, the Sylvaneth coming out of the woods to join the Exodus. There's um, the sprites. In previous editions, sprites were a thing for wood elves that had little rules and buffs and that sort of thing. That was kind of cool. That would be a cool thing to bring back to the Sylvaneth army, I think. Yeah. Um, actually come in the boxes for the dryads, so you can, uh, you can work yeah. if you want to. Even but, the tree lord has quite a bit, doesn't he? Yep. Are they, are they separate that you can just kind of tack on in different places? Yeah, they're, yeah. they're decorative. Okay, cool. Um, I was able to use some for my undead elves um, to just kind of really hit home that they're elves sure. that were dead. Um, sorry, all elf fans. Um, as they're fleeing, the Stormcasts are frustrated. I mean, they feel like they were better on a battlefield, not running away. And uh, the Lady of Vines comes back and is warning them. You know, they can't quite communicate with her, but she's kind of pointing behind them. She's not exactly trying to communicate well with them, and she's pretty frustrated with them as well. And she points to something, asking the Stormcast to protect the the rear. And, you know, there's some chaos that comes bounding after them. And, you know, they hit a couple of of stray things or, you know, a small hit-and-run attack and take that out. And then they, you know, kind of keep going. Um, And here's where, at the end of this chapter, they are kind of following the, the Sylvaneth into what they see ahead of them is this gargantuan tree. And they pass into a crack. And as they pass into it, it seems like the tree gets even bigger and the crack gets wider and wider. Brings to mind like Alice in Wonderland or, you know, this feeling of vertigo. I I can't look straight up at a building in the city, right? And you just feel like you're going to tip over. Right. Like just this feeling of like out of place. And he says, are we getting smaller? Is the tree getting bigger? And they slip into the cascading path. Yeah, it made me think of a a wormhole, right? And so it's kind of jetting them across and it's hard for them to comprehend. and And I think, again... We've mentioned this a couple times in these stories is that there's alternative to realm gates Mm -hmm. for getting around things, Um, you know, whether or not, you know, is this just a different kind of realm gate and they're slipping through it? You know, I mean, is it just define it as a realm gate or is it? It doesn't have to be an arch, you know, that is floating above. It could be, there's a lot of different ways it could. But this also seems to work with the, the world roots from the previous um, kind of story. And I think there's even, I mean, now as, as the Sylvaneth play, they can kind of teleport to different forests yep. mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. So there's kind of that kind of feel here too. So the cascading path is a slipstream of magic. And it talks about how the lady of vines comes back and kind of lets them know that Lariel is kind of protecting them by c- casting an illusion of, a weird forest and stuff, because if they were to actually see what they were passing by, it would drive them mad. Mm-hmm. And so again, just constant uneasiness, not feeling like you, you belong here. Um, that's what the Stormcast are going through. It's another good thing where the, the Stormcast, you know, they they're, have all these superhuman abilities, but they're still not invincible. They're not able to comprehend everything. You know, they, they still, they're not fully immortal, right? There's things that are yeah. kind of beyond their 
sanity and comprehension. Yep. So yeah, there's they're definitely a, um, a post-human, I guess, mm-hmm. in some of the terms we talk about. You know, uh, where they're bigger, stronger, faster, more endurance, but they still have their limits, mm-hmm. um, and they still have what essentially makes them human. But yeah, you know, and who they are and do they belong is certainly again, are they friends or just allies? There's a theme here to pay attention to for sure. Uh, Tegris is back. Yeah. Did you have you read the previous books, uh, Kelly? I'm just glazed over them briefly, so I understood kind of how the the new realms were working out. Mm-hmm. When when we last covered Realm of Life, Tegris was this prosecutor who had this big sort of dramatic. He sacrificed himself to save the Ever Queen. Took a what looked like a dreaded thirteenth to the to the face. Got turned into a weird <laughs> flying rat. Yeah, great. And uh, but collapsed before like didn't make the full transformation. Okay. Crashed to the ground and, and yeah. slowly like died out. Oh well, Alariel well, ended his suffering somehow, yeah. and we were like, oh man, did she yeah, like bring him back to life, or did she kill him? Well, here he's back, and there's there's nothing mentioned about it. Which yeah wasn't sure if it was a, a continuity thing or, you know, I, I got to imagine these authors are working on the, the books at the same time or, you know, yeah. if there just wasn't room to, to mention it, but that's a little bit. You'd think in this book with all the fighting that's happening, that you there, there might be a little time, time <laughs> to take a break from running away on the ice to tell a little more. <laughs> Speaking of actually, uh, so at the beginning of a lot of these chapters, they have the sort of italics, you know, here's, here's a different scene going on. Right. Uh, and it's a throwback and, Traditionally, in these books, this has been you're seeing the previous life of one of the Stormcast, and it's you know. Did this chapter have that? It may not. I have. know there's some other chapters that do have. Okay, that. we're um, gonna get more into that later. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll save my all right commentary there. So besides that, so as as the Sylvaneth and the Stormcast are fleeing through the cascading path, go back to Athelweird, and Torgalog's pretty ticked off that they lost Alariel. You know, they found her where she was been hiding for a couple hundred years. And they, they lost her. And so to make a example, he has uh, one of the Blight King, Blight King named Varl, sacrificed. So Slogoth uh, Maggotfang is his kind of high wizard, mm-hmm. right? his plague priest, whatever. And so he performs this ritual sacrifice where they remove all the marks from Varl and, all, and his gift claw, everything that would show that he was ever marked by Nurgle. Yeah. And uh, they kill him. Flies begin coming to the body. The f- mound of flies grows and grows and grows, showing that the mass underneath it has uh, become larger. And out of it is summoned a great unclean one uh, by the name of Guthrax King Eater. And supposedly this guy is pretty, pretty big. Like this isn't just your regular run-of-the-mill great unclean one. A pretty um, heinous, we'll use heinous as a word, and there's an interesting dialogue where um, Guthrax is like, who do you think you are uh, to summon me? You can't, um, you know, I'm not going to have anything to do with your quest that you've, you're failing. Right, yeah. Don't don't get the stink of failure on me, right? Yeah. yeah. So. And Torgler basically says, well, by calling you and binding you, you, your fate's tied to mine. If I succeed in this, you succeed in this. If if I fail, you fail. Um, one, yeah, one one thing that bummed me out a little bit about uh, the Nurgle interactions here, I, I enjoyed them so much in previous books because there was this kind of like jocular, like you know we're having a good time even though we're doing some crazy stuff, and they just were they were enjoying themselves, and there was this I don't know there was some rivalry, mm-hmm. but there was there's the stuff. happy side of Papa Nurgle, yeah, like that, the, the life that was not at life. all inevident in this in this book. It was, it was pretty like there was a lot of this stuff going on where he's he's sacrificing his followers and they're. Uh, 
I don't know if it's a, a condition of they got so close to their goal or, you know, I think, I think yeah. it probably also has to do with a, a different writer. Well, there's also, um, you know, and I, I think that what you're, you're thinking too, is that like, especially at the character at the beginning of the last, um, story. Yeah. Who's just kind of Lord like, Grouch, my favorite guy. Yeah. Your favorite Still guy. Who's just like lived happy, for one chapter. you know, he reveled in what he had created and that yeah. sort of thing. And, you know, had the luxury in this case throughout the stories, uh, they talk about Torgalug, the worm in his belly, mm-hmm. kind of, um, giving him pains and telling him kind of what Papa Nurgle's thinking. Um, and so like, there's definitely pain involved. There's definitely, you know, that sort of thing. And yeah, frustration about losing out on Alarial. And maybe, you know, maybe Torgalug's just got a different management style than you're used to. <laughs> <laughs> he's just missing the jolliness. Yeah, yeah he's oh, like, I totally, I mean, it was, it made me want to play Nurgle. And this, <laughs> this is like, oh, uh, uh, but. <laughs> and maybe the ending, maybe this is something to think about for the, you know, he wasn't, he just wasn't as happy with Nurgle. Yeah, no, I, we, I, I we do actually, it's a good point. I, I think, I think it does help uh, set up the ending a little better. And we'll circle back around to that. But. And we might just be reading into it, but it's a better way to think about it, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so Guthrax is, is summoned and, but they can't follow. They tried to follow the Sylvaneth and were unable. And so, um, Guthrax is summoned to help them kind of gain some insight, know where to go, uh, figure out what to do next. Chapter three, Stormcast and Sylvaneth exit the cascading path into a field of death blooms. Now we always like to stop a little bit and kind of describe some of these different places and as Davy said this you know we think of life as being lush and green and, and forests and I think some of the descriptions from the early um, op- you know revealing of of Garan is that it's all the seasons in their extreme everything going through its progression mm-hmm. um, and in this case so these death blooms and I don't know if they describe the flower themselves um, they got into it look kind of a somehow it looks like a skull headed thing there or, you go yeah. yep kind of like imagine your most invasive like ivy or we have like creeping Charlie around here, whatever. Just ship sweet. Yeah. It just crawls everywhere and is on top of everything and like ruins and trees covered, um, you know, skulls and, and bodies covered by this stuff. It's covering every single thing as far as the eye can see. So just kind of this cool idea of life to the extreme. And, uh, the lady of vines, um, speaks to Grimm and again, kind of in just a very cold way. Um, your oaths will be put to the test, Lord Castellan. You'll be called to sacrifice much. And with each sacrifice, the blight of doubt will grow within you. Then it will be faith, not honor that is put to the test. And what do we know about the hallowed knights and who will succeed? It's only the faithful for these guys, right? Right. All right. We didn't say <laughs> it. Yeah, that in once his... or twice. Yeah. 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 So calling out that you know so far they've been working on duty mm-hmm. that that you know sigmar has sent them there this is what they have to do you know grim's been able to put his host in their place when they've questioned what needs to happen because it's their duty it's a thing that they have to do yeah, and grim's in a weird spot right because he's an officer of the of the hallowed knights but he's not typically they actually refer to him as commander in this although i know it's not the lord commander this rank that has not been achieved by anyone in the sure so it's a more generic thing. He, he was actually the one who. So they're they're once again without uh, without Gardas, the Steel yep. Soul. Uh, Loris was the one who had to put him down. He like snatched up a crossbow and uh, shot shot Gardas down in the in the previous book in order to keep him from being consumed by a greater demon. So right. not only not only is he like having to take command, but he was one who you know although 
it was for the greater good, but he took he had to take Gardas out. Yeah. So. And so yeah, he's usually not the one leading. And I and I get the sense that the Castellans have more of a they're good strategists mm-hmm. or they're good like figuring out the positions and that sort of thing. At least I know in this, I know in some of the other books, I feel like the Castellan has taken that role where the Celestin's been the inspirational leader, right? And like yeah. you know the whatever. So there's kind of that cool role where he's a good strategist, but you know he doesn't know how to keep his keep his own, you know, keep everyone's spirits up or, or keep them pointing in the right direction, that sort of stuff. Yeah, at the very least, he's, he's wondering if he can. Yeah, yeah, lots of question. in this, you know, the, the Lady of Vines is certainly not helping, you know, his self-doubt. <laughs> so they've arrived on the lakeshore, and Hilario begins casting a strong spell, and it starts using up some of the power that she has. What did this scene mean uh, specifically to you, Kelly, thinking about the, uh, Alariel and, and kind of what she was about to do. Yeah, so this is one of them where, you know, um, again, kind of y- you think through the whole way that the different armies are and how they would act. And this is one of those things where you have this whole gigantic scene of, you know, she's conjuring all this stuff. And I just makes me want to make a model, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm plotting out my next uh, display board at this point, basically trying to get uh, get all this worked into one giant scene as it's playing out in my head. Oh, my gosh. This would be an amazing display board. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing I, I like, so she, she, by using up her power, she reduces herself to this seed, and then it has to be carried. So know, she, yeah, so she's, so she's casting the spell, and, and Grimm is like, okay, what is she doing? And it, he can see this power emanating mm-hmm. from her, and it's slowly fading and fading, and he kind of sees it. What's going to happen when that power gets close, like closes in closer on her, and it grows so bright, and he's like, oh, we've got to stop her. I mean, there's a sense of like she's, she's going to burn herself out or something, mm-hmm. and she ends up consuming herself. And what is left in the seed. And Grimm feels like they failed. Yeah. That well, th- their deal was to protect Alariel and she's gone. I thought it was another sort of idea of like, it's early on in this. There's a disconnect. They don't understand each other. The Sylvaneth know what's going on. Stormcast don't. Yep. They don't realize like... Speaking that, the same language, the same purpose. You right. Know, he, he makes mention that, you know, at least Torglug has mm-hmm. a human mind and he can try and guess what Torglug's going to try and do next. Mm-hmm. Sylvaneth, he's got no clue. Yeah. Right, and Alariel's down into a you know seed form. It's this idea of again all the different seasons. I thought it'd be uh, real cool, like an objective marker or something like that. Like it'd be you know uh, the seed bearer, somebody carrying a, a seed pod. I think be, Kelly's way ahead of you with her yeah, display board. No, probably true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so she's she's reduced to a seed, and and Grim thinks they've lost. Um, but. But the Lady of Vine sees that it's all part of, you know, she, yeah. she stops him from coming anywhere near Alariel and everyone is away from Alariel while she does her thing. He just doesn't understand. They don't understand. But off in the distance, something happens. And this was probably one of those, another one of those places where Age of Sigmar just kind of breaks the barriers. Like says, okay, we're just going to do something that you weren't expecting, I think. And tells a story that's bigger than what you would expect. A, a mountain begins to move and walk towards them. No big deal. Oh like you do, yeah. you know, just like just like a mountain does. It's a regular Tuesday. <laughs> it's Mountain Day, duh. Uh, Might be in the mortal realms. <laughs> and uh, this thing is rising up into the clouds, and and here I'm imagining, like, you know, you always you see mountains wreathed by clouds, but in this case, imagine a mount a mountain pushing through them, and how the like just 
aerody- or like aerodynamics and like jet streams are changed by this right. thing moving and so like much mass, man. the wind and the and you know whatever. Like it's just got to be crazy up there. Stone arms. I couldn't quite picture stone arms on a mountain. Yeah. Whether they're like off to the side, like it's got a big poofy dress on. <laughs> I was thinking, or... have, you, have you seen the uh, rogue idol of Mork? Have you seen that? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I thought of like just kind of a really epic icy version. So it started of off as like a, a mountain, like a person squatting down shaped like a mountain. Yeah. And then kinda... stood up and was like, no, I'm really a man. Check me out. Or yeah. a woman. <laughs> stone arms are scraping against his body, cascading snow and fog, rocks avalanching down off of it onto the ground. Um, every step was destruction. And as it got closer to where they were, snow started falling and blanketed the death blooms and covering them up. Um, so that was a cool image too, this idea of like almost – it's snow, which in the Midwest you're like, <laughs> it's winter. <laughs> but here it kind of almost felt hopeful, yeah. right? Yeah. Like the death blooms were getting covered yeah. and like it was getting like erased. Right. It's um, cleansing. Sure, exactly. exactly. Right, right. You go fallow so that you can come back new in the spring. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's hard to hard to feel that way when you have to get the snowblower out. Look at me. I have a snowblower. I'm, <laughs> I'm all shovel all the way. Um, so, I mean, it was just this really cool image of this force of nature coming in. And one of the Stormcast names it as a Jotenberg, if I'm getting that right. If anybody else has a better pronunciation of that. Jotenberg? Of course you would. <laughs> no, just, that's just a guess. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, and, uh, you know, that there's not many of these Jotunbergs, and they are um, stewards of the seasons in Garan. So it's an important one. Obviously, the, the, this mountain is the warden of, of winter, I would imagine. Oh, I missed that. So there's there might be one for each season. Did yeah. You? Oh, cool. All right. I didn't make it up this time. <laughs> <laughs> so Grimm realizes that this Jotunberg, Jotunberg, Gotenberg was called Gutenberg. by Hilariel. And he's like, oh, okay. That's probably a good thing. And and immediately turning back to where the seed was, sees all the Sylvaneth in mourning. Mm. And there's a little bit of connection there between Grimm and the Lady of Vines because, like you said, he had to see Gardas go, mm-hmm. right? He had to lose his leader. Right. And so all of Knowing the, that he'll be reborn, but they're still grieving. Yep. Here, the Sylvaneth are yep. the same. So there's a little bit of, of sameness happening here. And it notes the Lady of Vines aspect changes from a harsh bark to smooth, uh, losing the thorns, lush leaves, and, and turning to an amber color. And this made me think of your Lady of Vines, Kelly, your uh, branch wraith. Yeah, I was uh, pretty happy with myself when I read this. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is still green, but I was um, I was wanting to make something that was a lot more kind of ethereal feeling, uh, yeah. but still very much tree-like. So yeah, that was the, kind of the same kind of picture I got in my head here in the book. The GW Branch Wraith model, mm-hmm. uh, Branch Wraith formerly known Dreyka. as Dreisha, Dreyka, damn it, uh, and uh, <laughs> is is an ugly looking. Sylvaneth, like she's <laughs> she is scary. She's the angriest old hag, Sylvaneth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so your your um, Lady of the Vines, your your Branch Wraith, is definitely um, you know takes on a whole different aspect. And they talk about that a lot. These aspects of the Sylvaneth and how they change. And again, it's back to the seasons and back to the oneness with nature and and all the the flavors of of the realm of life, etc. So it was just it was a, it was a cool kind of moment of her softening a little bit too, being vulnerable. Right. So now the Sylvaneth have an entire mountain on their side. It's coming wading through, except that this is not just a war being fought by the individuals on the ground. It's it's on a realm wide scale, and there's no better combatant for that perhaps than Nurgle, who's infested even this massive 
know, literal force of nature. Yeah. And so, so the, what, the, the millennium of rot that's right. happening in the realm has infected this Jotunberg too. He crashes. He yeah. wades into the water. Now, this is part of the plan, but he, it's a little clumsy with it. <laughs> yeah. He falls face first into the water. <laughs> and you can imagine, it's like you, you see it like falling. You're like, oh no, here it comes, yep. and you got to wait for it and wait for it and wait. And for it. and when it hits, I mean, we're talking tsunami. Yeah. I'm imagining like just waves upon waves and cresting, and the waves while up in the air form ice, like freeze, and it's just these hills and, and valleys on the water. So it's like it's not just this smooth like frozen lake um, right. that's, that's, you know, kind of they're wandering across. Like there's like a whole different. Um, they couldn't have short-circuited this by busting out ice skates. Cause no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think the Sylvaneth could have done that, you yeah. know, totally. And so, yeah, the the Jotunberg doesn't, isn't able to kind of come and just like smash face with the Nurgle army, but does does freeze the water and gives them a way to escape. Meanwhile, Torgalug identifies where there is a uh, Skaven series of tunnels. He goes and he beats up the warlord and forces them to show them how to bypass and to maybe understand where they're, you know, uh, I think Guthrix is able to help them know where they're going. Right. The Skaven are able to get them there. There's another example, uh, despite chaos looking down on the Skaven, like as a lesser power, they're a pretty useful asset, asset here in the mortal realms because they, they can tunnel through reality, basically. So while the cascading path is moving the Selvaneth quickly, these Skaven warp tunnels or whatever yep. they're called are, are being used to uh, make a shortcut as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of talk about, you know, putrid stuff and decaying stuff down there in those tunnels you can go right on past that unless there's anything that you want to add kelly um i think that covers it so and and this is a theme now for the next 48 chapters we're going to be a little light on the coverage of these next chapters these four chapters out of 12 chapters a third of the book is taking place this battle on the ice mm-hmm. it's not like the the points aren't interesting like there is a real kind of well thought out way that the battlefield plays out it's basically a non-stop battle there's cool sea serpents underneath the water that bust up and and kind of take people down and all that kind of stuff. So there's some really cool creatures and stuff. There's fog across the battlefield. At one point, Torglug, is, who is also a great general, is able to kind of distract the Stormcast on one front, overwhelming them with numbers. Yeah, I like this because it, instead of chaos being always like, oh, we've got a million guys, we can just lose as many as we want, and we're not going to play it smart. He does. He's like, I'm going I'm to send my expendable stuff here and loop around. Once I've pinned you in place, I can then break around and, and get at the the juicy. Yeah. So the Sylvaneth are like continuing on the mm-hmm. Stormcast, try and make a hold. And Torgal is able to bypass that and get further down the line and closer to um, the Sylvaneth. There's some great unclean ones that are coming in and just destroying some of the Stormcast. A lot of people on both sides are going under the water, you know, crashing through the ice, that sort of thing. Beastmen, dragon ogres, bloat flies, all the things. Yeah, I think this might have actually been the first time we saw dragon ogres here. Yeah, uh, right at home on the ice. Yeah. That would have been... That's sli- perfect. Imagine a dragon ogre slipping on the ice like, I'm going <laughs> to... Ice <laughs> ready to go. They had, they had some neat... Uh, it, just some of that, like Kelly's talking about, where you see something that makes you want to create the model. Some of these they you read about, and you might, oh, I want to kind of maybe create this battlefield. They'd have these ice bridges that people would be going across, mm-hmm. and uh, the Stormcast would be heroically sacrificing, you know, destroying the bridges, trying to break them up as they Nurgle came across. And then Nurgle got creative about how they would create their own bridges. I think at one point Slogoth made a, 
a vomit bridge, uh, kind of <laughs> just that was gross. pretty gnarly. Yeah, it froze on the way over, and the thing that guy pulls right out of his. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, and then I think there was another where like chaos spawn, where like or beasts of Nurgle were uh, crawling over each other, and then kind of made a living bridge. So it, there were some there were some neat ways, but again, it was some of the some of the same. Um, kept on trying to defend these bridgeheads. And yep. Cut them off. Yeah, and weren't very successful. Um, in fact, at this point, um, Grim in uh, combat lost his hand, got sliced through by Torgalug, and started to infect him. Um, so that's a really important point that happens during this time. And then also uh, another storm host um, is tossed into the mix. The Knights Excelsior, mm-hmm. White Plate. Their, their leader is a Knight Azeros named Diamar, then a Knight of Venator named Geomachus. Unless you got a different pronunciation, buddy. No, go with it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all through this, uh, Torglug's kind of establishing himself. Like he's getting to, he he takes some hits from these guys, but he's he's taking down anyone that comes after him. Yep, and much. and Diamar kind of goes after him to take him on one on one, and there's a pretty cool battle there in which Diamar does not win. Yeah, uh, he does by because Torglug almost almost gets to the Lady of Vines here, but is. Diamar, although he's not successful in taking down Torgle, he does buy just enough time for yep. her to get away. So chapter 9 is still on the ice, but it starts wrapping us up towards getting to the other side. Any other cool moments, Kelly, that you thought? I mean, again, I'm skimming over these four chapters, but I don't want to leave anything out if you thought there was other cool stuff in that space. Uh, no. One of my favorite parts kind of from the middle-ish to end part of the books was when the hand eventually gets reformed it's a pretty cool description of how that all happens all right so we'll, we'll i'll get us there okay. really fast so they trek across the frozen sea endless gauntlet of skirmishes they're moving through the fog tegris finds them so there's like like all the disparate bands of the stormcast of getting separated are kind of coming back together a horn blows call the arms and ahead of them grim and uh the remnants of his host um run into the knights excelsior so this is their first time seeing them they're fighting some beastmen and they go charging up behind them and, you know, just demolish the beastmen. And they kind of give them the rundown of what's going on. Geomachus wants to go and find Diamar, but Grim kind of again realizes what's our what's our duty that we need to we have a mission and and if he makes it he makes it if he doesn't you know he's bought us time again uh, we need to keep going. And um, as they're heading out, the Lady of Vine's song kind of leads them. And as they get there, they realize what she's uh, what she's trying to do. She's the the Jotenberg's been like flipping out, and so it's rocking the ice and cracking the ice, all that kind of stuff. And she puts the Jotenberg back to sleep. They find her. She's standing up on shore amidst a circle of uh, minhir stones. Is there a better pronunciation of that one? Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm asking. I'm a little nervous of uh, you know. All that, but uh, and uh, these stones are raised by raised by the first kind of tribes that were there who had fought against chaos, and so I'm imagining cool carved stones and and uh, you know etchings and all that kind of stuff, which is yeah. This is what I liked about this. We get a glimpse because most of what we've seen in the realm of life so far is Sylvaneth, and that we get that we understand. You know, Sylvaneth, of course, they live in the realm of life, but there's also humans, and the only ones that we've seen have turned to chaos so but there there existed some kind of civilization before that so well and this does say that these were some of some of them and i don't know if some of them were human or not but it says some of the first 
to exit the Everqueen's soul pods when she came to the realm. Okay. Um, so there may have been humans after that, but I think these might have been Sylvaneth. Okay. But again, it doesn't, it's left in mystery like some of the other cool stuff that they put into these books. But this uh, circle of rocks acts as a magical fulcrum. And as she's singing the song, putting the Jotunberg back to sleep, they're cracking and they're crumbling a little bit. So she's pulling quite a bit of energy. And in fact, the, the other Sylvaneth circling her, she's pulling energy from them as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a cool kind of thing that's happening that'd be cool to see on the table, you know, just being able to plus one to cast for being in a circle grove. Mm-hmm. Uh, ogres actually have some, some things like that where you do D3 damage to a unit and take a you, chop out of your dude. Yeah. <laughs> so you suck a little bit from your, your, uh, your dryads and you get some bonuses. They make it to land. Some of the, the storm hosts, both the hallowed knights and the knights excelsior make it to land with the remnants of the Sylvaneth. Um, they come into the circle and this was right where you're talking about Kelly, um, the lady of vines, is really struck finally by what the Stormcasts have been willing to sacrifice in in the charge of, of saving Alarial and the and the Queen Seed and starts empathizing with them and seeing them as as kindred. She calls Grimm up to join her in the middle of the circle and does the unthinkable. What does she give him, Kelly? He gets his hand back as a tree and then it's a regular hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, so, it is amazing. Yeah, so, so she gets the whole thing where you know his hand kind of starts to grow back as a series of vines, and then it it fully forms into kind of what he had lost before, and even less the damage to the point where even his lantern that's all cruddied up by this point is fixed and it's working, and everything is is great again, which may explain where what happened to the last guy that got killed ish mm. for her. Yeah, that's a good point uh, because his power is coming from the the seed right. uh, from the alar, and that's that's a pretty impressive. Yep. Uh, display of trust. Well, and, uh, and that's an important part of this is that uh, she actually places the seed in his hand in order for this to happen. So this stormcast is holding mm-hmm. uh, Alarial, and this becomes a point of contention later with the other Sylvaneth, but is also that point where the Lady of Vines is entrusting Grimm wholly with everything, mm-hmm. right? There's a absolute like emergence between the two of them mm-hmm. It still doesn't exist between the two groups fully. Mm-hmm. I know that Part of the you know the contention early on was the the trees are a little uneasy around the big axes. No axes, bro. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, uh, but it starts with the the leadership here. You know that that kinship. His hand grows back. He, it feels all viney, but it's flesh, right? It's that's that's crazy too. Um, and then they head through another portal because you know you're just pulling out of your pocket whenever you want yeah it was a cool scene but it's also kind of pivotal like the just it was you can tell that you know the, the attention that he kind of lavished on it like kelly was talking about the the vines growing yep. in and all that sort of thing because it's an important thing you know they talk about no plan survives contact with the enemy is a, is a saying that we had and sigmar has these stormcasts that he's sending out into the mortal realms well these different ones like thostus blade storm and now Loris Grimm, they're they're coming into contact with different things that are changing them, and we don't know what those implications are. I think uh, Ming on Twitter was was pointing out, you know, what what happens when this guy gets reforged? Is he is he full Stormcast or is he something different now? Yeah. Like how does that how does that impact? So yeah. those are those are fun things to think, and it's it's neat because it gives the Stormcast a chance to evolve and become something different. You know, some some uh, unexpected changes. Yeah. Well, and, and the other reason that she did this was because um, the, where they're going next, this path is called oh, the, right, the, yeah. the, the Path of the Purified. In order for them to get to 
where they need to go and do what they need to do, all that joined them need to be rid of any uh, chaos. And so he was infected. And so in essence, I mean, you could say that, yeah, well, they needed them. So she did it. But, you know, there, I think there's definitely something very yeah, connecting there. They hop into the portal um, and they go through the path of the purification. And we'll have more of that in just a minute because we go back to Torglug and his remnants. And I can't quite orient, but I think they made it back towards the other side, the field of blooms of death blooms. So back to where they started, he kind of went after Slogoth. You know, he's, I think he's a little himself feeling defeated. And so he needs a scapegoat, somebody else to kind of beat on and, uh, you know, sees their, sees Slogoth and his coven and they go after him and Slogoth appeals. He says, you know, he, he tries to beg him, you know, Hey, there's still more that I can, you know, do for you. Torglug, I think goes, you know, what have you done for me lately? And I was, couldn't, isn't there a song? Yeah. What have you done for me lately? Keep, keep going. Yeah. yeah okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> so he goes after Slogoth and, and Slogoth says, you know, there's, there's more I can do. And he parts the fog that was there. Cause there's fog everywhere here, by the way. And, uh, he sees his entire army, like on the beaches, like just, you know, dead. And amongst those, the bodies were Skaven scavenging the poxmonger Cricknet who they had beat up his army before and found their way here yeah. uh, was there. Slogoth did this uh, thing where he, he disguised Torglug's blessing, right? From Nurgle. Mm-hmm. So that the Skaven would think they were just regular old chaos warriors, chaos warriors and come after them mm-hmm. thinking that they had the advantage. Easy pickings. And as they got closer, you know, it was evident that Torglug was who he was and he goes through and he, um, and Slogger says, well, you got to take that one alive, the poxmonger. And so he does. Uh, they capture the poxmonger, and they gather up the bodies to raise a new army. And so another ritual going on. And then they use uh, the Skaven tunnels to try and figure out where they're going uh, and where they're going to end up. So back to their old tricks, you know, a little little ritual here, a little Skaven tour guide there, and we'll be back on top. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's getting a little old, Torgler. Come on, this can't possibly work a second time. Back to the Stormcast and the Sylvaneth. They're traveling the path, and they're passing through Green Gear, um, and they're they're crossing these ley lines, and these ley lines are the things that will purify them. I mean, this is this is like the scanners at the outside of the retail stores that beep if you didn't get your thing rubbed across the barcode, right? You know, basically, you know, it alerts the guards this this is a, a realm wide yeah totally it's a it's a, it's, no. a, it's a shoplifting protection. yeah but uh if you cross these ley lines and you're not pure it ejects you from the path just gone right and as they they get to this point um there's there's a, a moment where tree tree lords one of the biggest one i didn't write his name down but like harut or something like that not groot i mean because that would Eric, be copyright Eric, yeah. uh and not who's the other guy from hodor Hodor, <laughs> that guy either. Is that a tree? No, he's the he's the quiet guy from uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, all right. Uh, so not that guy either. Um, but basically, there's some. Of this, it comes to a head in some of the Sylvan after seeing Grimm having held the the, mm-hmm. the Queen Seed are pretty upset, and they're they're ready to just be done with these Stormcasts. Yeah, well, what's cool here is you got you have. Sylvaneth that have different factions or there's different, uh, I don't want to say societies, but different communities of them. And they don't all necessarily see eye to eye. So like if Kelly's doing her Sylvaneth one way, I'm doing Sylvaneth a different way. You know, it, 
it gives you it says hey you got license to to have your sylvaneth you know do what they do it doesn't all it's not a monolithic sort of organization so to speak yeah yeah it is nice to see that there's not like just acting on kind of instinct or whatever it is that's driving them all to do one thing there's actually a difference of opinion between them yeah. Right, yeah, and you don't you don't get it a ton. We got we got it in the previous book that there's character in the individuals. There was the one treatment who was mourning his his brother who got killed. Uh, so I I like these moments where we get I don't know they in this case the Sylvaneth kind of are somewhat alien and we're having a hard time understanding. But here it's like oh yeah here's here's more to dig dig your fingers into. And, and in the same way we've talked about like humanizing the chaos. Yeah, you know, the Sylvaneth needs some humanizing too, and they, and he does some really good work here. The Lady of Vines intervenes, and she kind of convinces them that that things are all right. That that was the right. She basically says, if if it wasn't right, Alario wouldn't have healed him, mm-hmm. right? Makes and, sense. Yeah, yeah, right. Convinces them, but they need some time to cool off. They need some time to like think about it, and so they stop for a little bit. And she leads Grimm to stand on the ley lines, and he, by standing on the ley lines, he gets. Um, magic vision like super x-ray like <laughs> uh inf- infra ultra green Laser ultra <laughs> yeah and so he can see the the like energy flowing through the lady of vines in this pure green um bright energy and the other sylvaneth also a green energy but not as bright um he sees the storm cast and it's a bright white energy that's flowing through them and he looks at himself and it's not pure white like the other storm cast it's got a little tinge of the green uh, from his hand and goes back to, yeah, is yeah like he's, he is forever changed. Like he feels like he's forever changed. He's right. part tree now. Yeah. No <laughs> take backs. Would Ming say that the, they call him tree cast? No. Uh, I can't remember. Stormineth? Storm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could be something like that. Uh, yep. And so, yeah, it was just a cool moment of like being able to peer inside and see like, and it goes back to my, whenever I do an army, I always pick a color for the magic. Mm-hmm. Everywhere, wherever, you know, there's a mystical thing or a, you know, like my, my storm cast have like blue, white wings and my celestial hurricanum has the blue, white magic in the middle. My death have the toothpaste color spirit stuff. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Maximum intimidation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're going to whiten your bones. Uh, And so like, you know, but but it's kind of cool to think that, yeah, there is kind of that distinction of, of a magical power or magical color. Uh, which is fun for us hobbyists, right? Love it. Uh, it's at this point that it's kind of revealed what they need to do with Ilariel, that their mission is not that she's dead, but that she needs to be reborn. Mm-hmm. She needs a place to be planted and cultivated, uh, revived, and where she once was a caretaker or guardian of mm-hmm. growth. And kind of, I think of the Johnny Appleseed, Ilariel uh, Appleseed. Mm-hmm. Right. And now she needs to be the avenging uh, spirit of the forest. Right. She's going to take on the characteristics of where she's planted to regrow. So yeah. like, um, so yeah, they need, they, you know, just like any plant, you need the right soil. You need the right, um, energies. Nutrients. Yeah. Nutrients. In this case it's, you know, yeah. Like you said, magical energies are going to affect how she comes back. So looking for the avenging wrathful force of nature, yeah. Alario. And where would you get that? But from the former kingdom of Blackstone, where men and women fought the first chaos intrusion into the realm. This land they describe as steeped in valor, heroic deeds, and sacrifice. And there's this interesting discussion between Grimm and, and uh, his who, acting second in command at, the, at this time 
about do God gods make men or do men make God, right? And is it right for us for them to be going to plant and deciding what Illyrio is going to become? And Grim says, well, but are we acting on our own, right? Is it yeah. is it her will that's causing us to go this? You know what I mean? Sure. It's a, uh, and you can understand where a stormcast would be coming from that because they literally were made by Sigmar, so yeah. they've they've got a much more probably subservient view of that God and creation yeah. uh, relationship as opposed to Alario, who's you know nature depending yeah. on on in all the different aspects. They're going to be a more give and take going yeah. on there. All of our examples of stormcasts in the stories we've read so far are very subservient stormcasts. Are faithful to and unquestioning. Mm-hmm of Sigmar's actions, his goals, and what he tells them and doesn't tell them. So, yeah, it's definitely a very different. So I need to scout ahead. Um, uh, and some scouts come back and they report uh, rings of stone ahead and remnants of battle but no bodies. What, what do you think? So they don't really spell it out here, and this is this is one of these. They talk about cold and distant as the stars, these these eggs. So you get this inference that the, the Seraphon have been involved yep. here, but we don't know for what or why. Yeah, they're wondering if there's necromancer, right. too. But at the end of the day, they decide that if battles came, if, if it was Seraphon, whether it was something else that they don't, mm-hmm. they don't need to worry about, they can go forward. Now, as a side, if you are wondering what happened here, balance of power does get explicit with it. Corn throws uh, Scarbrand down to try and stop this. He's like, well, I can't let Nurgle have all the fun. So throw Scarbrand down, and then the Seraphon is like, nope, and they move to block that. And so there's a whole scenario you can play. It's this crazy thing. You know, it, it happens in this story and happens entirely off screen, but you can play it out if you want. So it, it's just kind of a neat way where the books tie together. You can fill in those details when you read the two uh, yeah. together. So this last episode of Combat Phase 144, um, there's an interview with Guy Haley about writing for the AOS fiction and that um, the campaign books actually come, came first okay. in the writ, in in kind of the mechanics of writing to these stories and that those plot points are all there and that it was the job of the authors then to pick and choose what they wanted to yeah yeah pick um, pick which ones they had to do and they had to fill it in and it sometimes that's that's harder than you would expect it to but a good challenge as well because mm-hmm. you've got some immovable objects and yeah. ways that you wish you could have told it and that sort of thing so this is one where that plot point's in there but this story didn't have to encompass that yeah i actually like it because it, it's uh not everyone needs to shake hands and high five each other and uh, sort of, you know, the, the Seraphon are, they're not doing it for the kudos and the recognition. They're, they're doing it. They're coming in. They know what needs to be done. And so it's not important that they are still around to, you know, say, hey, I want to make sure you know we did this for you. So they decide to move forward towards Blackstone Summit where the queen seed will be planted. Then we get into chapter 11. Uh, they describe the victory fields uh, as a place uh, of black soil covered in menhir stones. The bones and the uh, shields and swords are all petrified. Mm-hmm. They've been there so long that they have, even in the open air, have turned to stone. Can you describe, Kelly, the 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 trees in the stairway? Yeah, so the, the uh, kind of mountain, mini mountain type thing that they're climbing up in this is actually a series of three trees that at one point clearly were intertwined into a larger kind of living tree and have long since died and turned to stone and kind of crumbled. And then someone, after all of this happened, came back and installed a stair over the top of all of this. So this is all kind of going on. And then there's also kind of an ominous, you can't quite see the top of it. So it's this uh, really stone-like set of kind of tree bases with a stair on top of it, and you don't know what's on top of that. So 
ominous yeah. stuff. It's another one that's cool where you're like, I don't know how I would make that into a battlefield, but <laughs> I want to. Like that seems yeah. pretty rad. It'd or, be a great like major objective to like you have to yeah. get up to the top of it. Oh yeah, just a yeah cool stairway board where right. where you try to. It's all flat, but you try and emulate some sort of climbing yeah. mechanism. Right. Um, you're faster one way than the other way, or <laughs> <laughs> you fall. Um, and uh, what's cool too, um, because of this cloudiness, Grim has asked the the prosecutors to go and scout it and as targus is swinging up through he's noting that all the stone the tree stone is carved uh, with with murals of the past battle of the history and like every branch of this massive you know ever unending tree and um at the top that there's a plateau Mm -hmm. like where the trees meet at the top um that it's been flattened and that it it's made to be a giant courtyard but the mist covers the center of it so you can just see the edges what was interesting here again back to our question about Grimm and his kind of self-doubts and that kind of the progression of who he becomes through this process at this point the knights excelsior have deferred to him as the leader so uh diamar's gone but geomachus has basically allowed Grimm to make decisions and been ready to act. And so he notices that and he's, he's very yeah, appreciative of that. And, and again, what, what they talk about as well is like, is no greater sacrifice, not just yourself, but to be the one who sacrifices other people in your, you know, in your um, army, you know, to be the one to say that this person is going to go, you know, and do this. There's about a hundred storm left. There's 50 in the, of the hallowed nights and a few more, of the Knights Excelsior, there's only like dozens of the Sylvaneth. Like there's not a ton of them. So Tegris goes um, to do th- some scouting and he goes up and the plateau, like I said, isn't um, something he can see into. And so he kind of decides that there's nothing, there's nothing to worry about here. Grim and the lady and the, their whole retinue are starting to climb the stairway and the green fog is, you know, is definitely more thick as they go up. And Grim starts doubting how easy this seems to be, you know. And they're also, you know, kind of he's saying, "Hey, scout ahead, scout ahead." And they're like, "How could Torglug even be close?" And he's saying, "Just it, the biggest risk is to doubt that Torglug and that Nurgle, in their desperation, yeah. couldn't pull something out. You just don't underestimate. You just, you just don't." But he gets here and he's like, uh, "He seems to have maybe underestimated or let his guard down." They get up to a certain part in the, the fog parts, and they realize that Torgalug has gotten there to the summit ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And that's not cool. Yeah, well, it's bad news, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're already set up, and you just climbed up, you know. Now like, they're the I don't jerks f- on the stairs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, man, these are our stairs. You have to eat your lunch somewhere else. <laughs> uh, but they've got the high ground. Strategically, battle-wise, that's... You know, Stormcast have tired themselves out coming up all these flights of stairs. It's it's a uh, it's a bad scene. And Torgler's army is seemingly at full strength. He's got chaos warriors, um, skin clad marauders. He's got chosen ratmen with plague engines, beastmen, and hordes of demons, and a trio of great unclean ones. You know, from the looks at it, it's just like okay. I mean, it, there's sometimes right where you've got um, different shows or movies or whatever. You're just like okay, how like this has to be the end, right? You can't just keep on winning. You just like you. I mean, some of these stormcast battles, like, how do they just keep on winning, right? I mean, yeah, they're really good, but like you're sitting here going, no, yeah. like, okay, this is where they've got to. And and uh, Torglugs is feeling the same way. 
Um, and it's interesting because that worm inside of him starts to crawl and bite and kind of make him feel awful and just remind him not to get overconfident. The Stormcast realize, I, I mean, they, they know where they're at. Um, but then Grimm um, shouts, only the faithful, and it echoes throughout all the Stormcast, and they charge. And, and it says that Torgalug knows they should, like, it shouldn't bother him. Like, he's got them outmatched, outnumbered, outgunned. But there's a tinge of fear in that, mm-hmm. right? Because the Stormcast are not acting like they should. They should just be defeated. They should mm-hmm. roll over. Um, but they're not going to go down. It's, it sets the stage. The Stormcast are charging. Torglug and is, is they're just sitting up there haughtily gloating over their numbers and, and the advantage they have, um, but with that, that tinge of fear. And Slogoth starts to incant a new spell uh, with uh, kind of increasing the fog and this diseased kind of stenchy smoke to, to go down. And he looks up to the clouds and the storm gathers quickly up above. It's a little odd. There's some lightning striking up there. And then, Davey, what happens? This is the arrival of the Celestine Prime coming down to save All right, you could have done it more dramatic than that. Oh. The arrival of the... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, lightning strikes stone, um, like these stone branches explode, for one. Uh, there's a huge storm strike in the middle. And Torglug thinks, oh, here's another storm host. Yeah. And look at Sigmar, bring in another 50, 100,000 guys, whatever. Yeah, nice job. Um, hail's pelting the, the chaos forces. Um, the plateau shakes. Thick smoke coming out of the crater. And, and out of the smoke, the smoke just kind of dissipates, like explodes out in all directions. And in the center is... Uh, the Celestine Prime, and only the three great unclean ones can even bear to look at it. And Torgleg instantly kind of regrets his overconfidence. I mean, he's surprised that it's a single person, but he, but then also at the same time he arrives and there's, I mean, they're just dumbfounded and all the storm cast, uh, take a knee and, uh, bow to the, the Celestine Prime, which I thought was interesting because it, I mean, it's not Sigmar. It's it's his embodiment of his vengeance. Oh, he's carrying Galmaraz, right? He's carrying so. Galmaraz, sure. A holy symbol, I suppose. And for Grimm, I mean, it's it's just this, yeah, game changer. So where before it's like, okay, yeah, this is done. This is a game changer. And we don't know what's going to happen. And then we get to chapter 12. And here is the flashback. Yeah, I mean, they've been interspersed throughout, but here we, we close it out. They've, they've been feeding it similar to some of these, like I was saying, some of these previous books you'd have. Uh, you get little glimpses of the Stormcast previous life, right? And so I don't know, Kelly. Did you did you know what we were uh, like when we were seeing these little sort of italicized flashbacks? Do you know who it was talking about all along, or was it kind of a revelation to figure out who it was towards the end? No, it was it was cool to find it out at the end, having not really read a lot of the other books. That was kind of neat. Yeah, I kind of I. I, I was going back and forth because it, it sounded like I thought I'd remember reading one of the blurbs in, in the book and like this sounds like Torglug but maybe it's like a it's doing a head fake or something right maybe. exactly so but uh, but yeah they they typically do this for the Stormcast right so it was cool to see you know here's here's this and he'd he'd been this big stalwart hero of of Gyran before uh, and ultimately suffered so much that he finally gotten corrupted and has become a, a great champion of Nurgle and has been a huge instrument of, of blighting the realms. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, he was not only, he was a great champion, but he was even like lifted up, um, as an example of that, right. um, kind of stalwartness and that resistance against Nurgle. And when his people finally fell, he was tossed into a pit of filth and stayed there until Nurgle was able to just break him until he accepted Nurgle's gift. Yeah, and so he becomes Torglug and um, becomes the destroyer. And one of the things he's uh, um, 
he mistakes the Celestine Prime for Sigmar, and he's a little furious. He's a little pissed off. And this is a little bit of his former self coming out that in all of those times he's destroying civilizations, and each time he just, you know, completely wiped out a uh, village or a kingdom of people, that not once did Sigmar show his face. I don't know if he was a devotee, but certainly had some feelings that Sigmar was somebody who should have been there. But not once that happened, but here, like yeah. here he shows up. And so it was this interesting feeling that you get from him uh, about that. And, and yeah, just super like disappointed mm-hmm. <laughs> that Sigmar didn't show up at other times, even though he was an agent of, of Nurgle. When he realized that it was not Sigmar, he was kind of changed. He changed his attitude, changed a little bit, shifted a little bit. And it was like, okay, finally, you know, of all the people I've destroyed, I will, even, even Grimm, I will not remember his name, right? Uh, in a hundred years when I'm, you know, fighting more things and killing more things, I will not remember the name, but this will be a worthy opponent. I will remember this. But then the, the Hallowed Knights surge forward and the Knights Excelsior uh, kind of go to the flank. And here Torglog is... He's- he starts honing in on on. He's like, okay, well, it, here's here's I can prove myself by killing this Celestine Prime. Like this is what I'm going to go after. And then again, Papa Nurgle talking about with that worm in the gut starts squirming and says, hey, remember your job here is not to win glory. The only thing I care about is you get the thing that I want the most, and that's the Ever Queen. Yep. So Torglug redirects and yeah, he's able to kind of stay his pride mm-hmm. and his like, oh, I could beat this thing. I have this epic fight, and he says, "No, I've got to, I've got to win this for Papa Nurgle." Um, there's uh, some destroying of, of plague furnaces. Uh, Grim um, demolishes Poxmonger Cricknet, sh- like cuts his face in half. <laughs> really cool. Um, but Grim's pretty beat up. Uh, Morbus comes to his aid uh, and destroys a uh, plague furnace. Slaga starts performing a spell. He basically decides to kind of pour the the energies from the demons into the humans and have them uh, explode noxious gas. All that kind of stuff's happening. Uh, And Torglig, like you said, is going towards the Lady of Vines. She manages to to reach him. He goes through and calls his Blight Kings to him, and they manage to get through her defense, her entourage. Mm -hmm. And the the great and clean ones are kind of going after the prime. And he uh, starts to cut down or starts to go after her well, so you have this crazy thing. So you have the the Alariel's life-giving energies. They're kind of reuniting the Sylvaneth, and then Nurgle's pouring all of his favor into Torglug and his bodyguard. And so those guys are just taking huge amounts of abuse and growing it back. So it's these two. Yeah. I mean, they are the different Souped sides up. of the coin, right? Like yep. the uh, verdant life and then life unchecked is the Nurgle side of things. Yep. And so it's, it's a, a nice sort of culminating event of this battle and just as he's about to get through and and kind of get onto the lady of vines a comet comes knocks him back um so the celestine prime kind of turns his attention throws a comet at him knocks him away but he's left open and so the great and clean ones spew onto him um and uh, uh guthrex actually comes through the spinning tail and like hits the celestine prime up into the stratosphere like you know, to the moon. Yeah. Uh, he disappears into the clouds. Um, and Grimm is able to, while they're up looking to see, where's, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Is he coming? You see him? All that kind of stuff. Grimm is able to go in and take down Guthrex. Geomachus is able to come down with his arrow and, you know, super duper arrow. Yeah. Super duper arrow and kill one of the other great at clean ones. 
And then uh, the Prime comes down and smashes the third. And then Torglug is able to regain himself. He has this moment of doubt where right. he's like, um, you know, maybe Nurgle wasn't all he's cracked up to be. He's seeing this sort of valiant <laughs> last stand of, of Grimm and these other Stormcasts. He's like, man, like, I tried so hard for so long. This is what I wanted to be, wasn't it? Yep. But then Nurgle's like, no. No. Nope. <laughs> you're mine. And he uh, infuses him with power. Um, and kind of gives him one another blast of, of like super duper strength. And he goes after uh, the lady of vines. What does he do to the lady of vines, Kelly? I'm sorry to make you answer this. Because <laughs> oh, so I think this, this That's happened to you great. at uh, Adepticon, didn't it? <laughs> you can ask Wayne Kemp about this. Uh, <laughs> she basically gets hacked to bits. Oh. Uh, slowly, painfully sap squirting everywhere she is she's eventually taken down yeah it's pretty graphic it is yeah. super graphic and his his axe is called the tree cutter um yeah. so yeah. it's it's apropos i guess all the way through this he's cutting down trees and there's not a lot of characters that have been around for because there just isn't a ton of novels out yet or a ton of fiction but she is one of the ones who's been around for multiples to so yep. to, to see her go down yep. yeah and she's the one we care about the most about Right. At the end um, of it, they say she's basically reduced to a pile of kindling. Just yeah. That's kind of rude. I mean, <laughs> that pain. I felt that pain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the seed rolls away. Um, yep. He's a Torgolug's about to get uh, reach for the seed um, when the fury of the Celestine Prime comes down upon him. The hammer of of Sigmar Galmaraz passes through his skull. And uh, blue energy races towards the sky. Yeah. So if you're just reading this on its own, you this is so brief you could almost overlook it, right? So blue lightning arcs up when Torglug goes down. Like, that's not what we're expecting. Now, again, you read it through with balance of power, and that's the big sort of reveal at the end there, right? Uh, Torglug is reforged like he's brought back for the for the forging like it's this big like holy cow moment in in the uh, book and i it's worth talking about because uh, most of most of what we've seen from sigmar so far is just like oh, i'm angry i'm this holy avenger i'm coming back and kicking kicking chaos in the tail here and here's the first sort of moment of mercy or redemption and that's you know when you talk about gods and and that sort of thing that's a that's a frequent theme Elsewhere, we haven't really seen it yet in Age of Sigmar. And so this is a, a cool moment like, okay, well, you know, we, we can see chaos being brought back, like based on his, his actions uh, before he was turned. It's like, yeah, like what is, re- I mean, what is redeeming here? You know, there's a couple of things. The question is like, and we ask these questions of ourselves, like is he, is he worth saving, right? Yeah. He's done so much damage to the realms that, should should Sigmar even spend the moment on him? Mm-hmm. At the same time, the storm hosts, the stormcasts he have are, are limited. Mm-hmm. He's pulled every hero that he can pull from the you know the remnants. Where is he going to get any kind of new blood, as it were, right? Or or reinforcements? Or where's his new source of of heroes to to replenish what he's had? And what does that mean? I mean, the he's being reforged. And all the other – prior to the Gates of Azir, the Stormcast had spent 100 years training, mm-hmm. right, in the fields of Azir and wiping that clean and killing chaos there and training with each other and fighting each other. Um, Torglug, is he going to go into the field without that? Right. 
who does he belong to? Like, did it, and I don't remember if it said what his. Well, I think they've got are. that picture. He's got him shown as a hallowed knight, and I, okay. I think you'll see him in Godby said that. And he comes back as a as a knight venator. Okay, uh, so uh, sort of avenging. It's it's pretty cool. Anyway, just real fun. And we've seen uh, again in Balance of Power. We talked about in the previous episode. We we don't know what's going to happen to Vandis. You know, is it is it possible they can go the other way? There's some evidence that Archaon was a follower of Sigmar before. So we've got these sides are more fluid uh than than we maybe thought they were at first anyway so how did you feel kelly did did he deserve to be reforged i think so i mean the whole time he was kind of fighting against it a little bit and there is kind of that little bit of uh kind of standard humanity in there that you get with the kind of play back and forth of the rage and the kind of sadness about that and i i think he deserved it yeah Yeah. i think it goes back too to what we've said a lot of times you see that that Going to chaos isn't necessarily a choice. Right. Right. Everyone's got their breaking point. And, uh, uh, and so he's just as much a victim of chaos. Yeah. Uh, and his acting out was just a cry for help. <laughs> but <laughs> we, but we did. Cry. Yeah. Yeah. A loud, gross, smelly <laughs> cry. Belch. But the, the Hammerhands talked about that when they were like, hey, you know, don't think too overly poorly of these followers i think it was zinch followers in the realm of metal yeah. like we didn't have to do it like we got to go back to azir and live the good life these guys had to you know fight out those last basically end of the world moments and so uh i think it's i think it's a cool acknowledgement again like i said some mercy and forgiveness which is like i said in this. i've got plans for a uh, reformed uh, chaos uh, devoted of sigmar so i like I, it it's gonna be cool all right anybody any last thoughts here on this there's just some really cool moments in that connecting between different races, learning that, you know, that they're all fighting the same fight. And again, like you said, that fluidity, um, Mm -hmm. kind of being able to come back to, to the fight. Yeah. So we got a newly reforged hero. I think that's appropriate time to hop over to the hero phase. And pretty soon, hopefully a reforged, uh, uh, queen Alarial. Oh yeah. We'll see. Reborn, regrown. Yeah. Someday. The Hero Phase. In the Hero Phase, we turn our attention to those of you who want to get started in the Age of Sigmar or share this game with your friends. So, uh, a really good, you know, there's a lot of places to start. Uh, Age of Sigmar is great, and there's small games that you can play with a box and a hero, you know, a mm-hmm. box of, of infantry and a hero, or, you know, that a, a unit. And or two units, and you name one of them your general. Like it doesn't take a lot to get into the game. Um, a lot of people and friends that you have maybe aren't into war games to begin with, and miniatures themselves, painting them. You know, Kelly, you were saying that that's kind of where you started. Was painting miniatures was the cool part. Game came later. Um, most people are into games, but not painting miniatures. It's maybe less the norm. But a great way to combine getting into miniatures with board games is Warhammer Quest. And it pits a number of heroes, um, some models that come with the game, uh, through a dungeon um, called the Silver Spire. Um, and it is uh, um, uh, inhabited by the a Gaunt Summoner and, and Zinchian forces. Have either of you guys ever played any of these spinoffs, like uh, you know the old ones like Hero Quest or 40K Side Space Crusade or the original Warhammer Quest? I haven't. I have, I actually have the Fantasy Flight Warhammer Quest. Oh, nice. All right. Very cool. Is it all painted up or is it sitting in the box? No. 
Okay. It's, it, it's put together. It's it's playable, but it's not painted. Nice. Yeah, I would love to see some of that on the forums. I think people would get a kick out of that. Well, you know, what yeah. uh, what snagged me originally way back when in the hobby was a board game version. That Space Crusade was like the mini board game version of 40K. So it's a, it's a nice entry point um, for, for that. And, uh, Man, and the story is all set up. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get people into story like we talked about last time. Tell mm-hmm. them what the story is. Do you want to sit down for a couple hours and play a board game? People mm-hmm. are usually up for that. Um, and it introduces really high quality miniatures that most board games don't don't offer. I mean, they, they're good miniatures, but certainly not to the quality that the Games Workshop ones are. And especially if you can paint those and make those look really cool. Um, and if not, um, you know, um, I used to paint one color and put a wash on them to kind of give you that stone look or that that you know whatever. And it's cool to just move these statued pawns around. And the the details come out. Um, but it's a great way to kind of introduce to people to moving miniatures around the table, rolling dice, mm-hmm. um, in that side of the game. And then all the components are pre-selected, right? And then, yep. so, you know, if, if somebody's playing as one of the heroes, they only have to worry about their one hero. And yep. they got but, their stat card and they know what they need to roll and they know what they need to do. Um, you can play two to four players. So that means you can get a group together and, you know, safety in numbers. So you don't, you know, if somebody doesn't feel weird playing it, if a bunch of other people are playing it, hmm. um, so it's a it's it's a, a really great entry point um, from the kind of people playing used to playing board games, inch them a little bit closer to playing with miniatures on a board game, high quality ones, and then what's cool is that the you can you you can actually play any hero in the Age of Sigmar line through the app, um, the the My Hero app. Now you can get your friends over to the Warhammer the Age of Sigmar section of the mm-hmm. the game store and pick out any hero that they want and bring them to the table. So now you've got them in front of the whole uh, line of models, which is just, you know, again, it's a way of pulling people who are unfamiliar with Warhammer, Age of Sigmar altogether, just a little bit closer, a few steps at a time, um, and then pretty soon you'll be rolling dice on a table, you know, fighting armies. Right, it lets people sort of browse through and say, that model looks super cool. Can I use that? Sure can. Here you go. Go ahead, Kelly, bring that Green Knight in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Green Knight, uh, hopefully, will have uh, a place there for sure. Um, but it's, I mean, and it's it's just going to be a really cool game, too, in and of itself. A lot of fun to play. So Yeah, I do really like those where you, everything is kind of already set up for everybody, and you can sit down and take 15, 20 minutes to explain what's going to happen, <laughs> walk through all the rules, and then everyone can just have a good time playing. Yeah. Take some of the, the stress of preparation out of it. And we've talked about that in, in a couple different ways in previous episodes. You got any of those uh, models you particularly itching to paint, Kelly? Um, all of them from what I can <laughs> see from the pictures. <laughs> yeah, nice. Okay. Yeah, I'm the the priest is coming at a really good time, the warrior the Excelsior priest. Yeah. Pretty psyched about adding him to my uh, my devoted. But uh, that uh, Dark Oath chieftain. Yeah, a callback pretty to boss. the to the old ones, you know, to the old games. Having the barbarian in there is pretty cool. Yeah, and we're getting a, a little peek at the, uh, the elves. I don't uh, want to get too much into yeah, all that, but yeah, yeah. yeah so, we'll see. Uh-huh. but uh, the Warhammer Quest board game uh, coming out one hundred fifty dollars um, to get to add that to your board game collection and to have an easy entry point for friends uh, to get into Age of Sigmar models and hobby. And if you got a group of, you know, a gaming group of four to six people, split it four to six ways, and all of a sudden that that price point comes down because you guys are going to have to collect up to to be able to play it. So that's a that's a way to make it even uh, even more accessible as far as. Well, I get to pick my half, Davey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
the hobby phase. In the hobby phase, we want to stoke the flames of creativity for hobbyists and find shortcuts and easy entry points for new gamers. So this episode, we've had a whole bunch about the realm of life and Sylvaneth in particular. Kelly, we wanted to circle back around and talk to you a little bit more about painting your Sylvaneth. And I, I want to start this out. You said you said before doing miniatures, you were doing painting. Are you talking like painting on canvas or what, what, what were you doing before painting armies? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, even as a kid, I did like art camp and stuff like that uh, from kind of like seven on. And then in college... Um, ended up taking a lot of art classes so I did ceramics and oil paints and watercolors, canvases um, calligraphy all that kind of stuff so this is kind of fun for me to interpret my other skills into how can I make this cool on a mini so that's that's a lot of what I end up doing how much translation have you found is it uh, how's it how's it felt as far as like having to learn new skills or being able to apply what you I see that calligraphy being directly applied all the time sure yeah, <laughs> yeah, to- totally with the calligraphy. It might be uh, spoiler alert in my oh. in my display board for Adepticon next year. The calligraphy might be involved. Oh, we so, got it. The hot deets. We got them. Man, we're we're but, spoiling everything. But so far, the sculpting has been huge because um, it's kind of made me not so afraid of the green stuff. And mm. you know, the more you get into painting models, the more you want them to look great when they're done because you spend time painting them. So uh, I think for a lot of people, the modeling side of it kind of follows directly along if you're interested in painting them. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of went off the deep end. So I have like my branch wraith that I made for this army that's totally a Frankenstein of several different parts of other models that I put together. Uh, how um, many How many uh, then, branch wraiths or how many uh, dryads had to die to make her? <laughs> None. Those were all leftover parts. Yeah. So it was a leftover. uh, It was actually, I had assembled a whole box, the old uh, box with the tree of the three tree men and all the dryads. I got that Uh and I assembled the whole thing. And she's actually all leftover parts from that. that, And then the torso from a, uh, a dark elf sorceress on black dragon. Okay. So it's basically a series of tentacles off a tree man. Yep. Um, the roots coming from her are actually the head part of a tree man. Mm. And then uh, the torso off the dark elf, head off a branch wraith, arms off of extra branch wraith arms I wasn't using. And then a series of um, the tree men have a lot of those little kind of leaf sections all over the place of them. So I actually clipped a bunch of those off mm-hmm. and kind of made like a super dryad head in the back. So tacked all those into there. And then everything else is green stuff on it. So I went a little green stuff crazy on her. <laughs> so I, I've i done conversions in my time, and they're not as well executed as what you've got going on there. But for me, when I'm when I'm thinking of a conversion or thinking of a, you know, what I'm going to put together, there's usually like a lightning bolt moment of like, oh, hey, here's my idea. Let me see how I can bulk that out. And it sometimes does or sometimes doesn't play out like I imagined it. Did you have – was there some single part of that model that you were like, that is what I need to – grab a hold of and figure out how to use and from there uh you know expand on that or was it just kind of a develop a little bit at a time well it it started in that i wanted to have a branch wraith and i was not super excited about the options available to me and then i was looking at the parts that i had left and i had kind of two of those tentacle pieces that come off of um, the standard tree lord where he's shooting at the tentacles and they have kind of little bits on the end of them and Mm -hmm. i had cut those off and kind of placed to put one right side up and one upside down. And I was like, that makes kind of a cool little swirly thing. I 
think I maybe could do something with that. And then I actually went through, I have a whole, whole lot of armies. Uh, so I, I have an extensive bits pile. So I, uh, I found the torso for the dark elf and kind of just set it on top of the tentacles that were facing downwards. And I was like, well, that's actually in proportion for a person. So nice. let me see. And then I checked to see if the dryad head and arms would fit with that. And they were also in proportion. So I was like, good it's on i'm making this a model so. <laughs> nice now for you've you've got some bretonians in your sylvaneth army um specifically like you said the green knight did you burn your fingers at all trying to melt plastic yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's very singed yeah several times not bad I, okay and i know you put up a little bit of a tutorial on uh, kind of how you're doing that um like, had you worked with plastic like that before, or is that another moment where you're just like, you know what, if I heat this up, I can bend it and it'll look like uh, flowing robes or what is it the, what is it called on barding on a horse or not barding? The barding. Horse, yeah. 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 So that was another one. And this is what happens with most of the stuff I do where I'm like, well, I'm just going to see what happens if I try this. So we had a bunch of plastic card kind of laying around um, for scenery building and things like that. And I actually went out and got really thin plastic card because when I was looking at a lot of models that have flags on them, my biggest issue with them was how thick the flag itself is on it. That always kind of bothered me. So I was like, I want to see if I can get the flags to be thin enough to look normal. on the yeah. model. Um, so I got ridiculously thin plastic card and kind of cut it into these horrible flag shapes and, uh, <laughs> rectangles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like rectangle, like a <laughs> like rectangle on the end, and it's just really long. Oh, okay. Um, and then I have a full-on heat gun at the house. We have that for taking decals off of cars and motorcycle kind of things. So I grabbed that, um, and I just decided to see what would happen if I went at the plastic card with it. And what I found is, you know, there's kind of a golden moment in there when the plastic card fails and turns a little bit, not quite liquid, but basically like a fabric texture, and you can do whatever you want to it. Yes. And it only stays that way for about a second or Ooh. a second and a half. So you have to do it in parts. So that was kind of the big realization. I burned myself a lot of times, and I made some, like, horrible plastic piles trying to get those flags right. But once I figured out, like, if you start at one end and kind of heat it up and make a little twist and then go further down and then heat it up and make a little twist and kind of continue on until it looks like a flag. And you can always hmm. reheat the parts that you don't like. Um, so once I got the method down, then it, then it was good. But yeah, most of the stuff that I do is just let me see if I can get this to work and I do it until it works. And the, the doing things in parts is where I have trouble with both green stuff and I would think this technique. I'm so impatient to just – I was really hoping that I could use this technique for my for my <laughs> ogres uh, in an upcoming project. But I, I'm it's feeling a little fast. less hopeful. Like it, it hardens within the second and a half. Okay. So That's you, right. You and just it, have to get there. You used a heat gun, not just a hair dryer, right? Right. So that's okay. the, the issue where I was saying I'm burning myself is because right. it's very hot. You have to be really careful doing that. Um, you can actually even kind of burn yourself a little bit touching the plastic, but good luck if you get your fingers in front of the heat gun itself. Right. It's over. Oh yeah. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Have you, do you have you used a heat gun? I've never used a heat gun. I've got one. If you want to, if okay. you want to experiment with this, I'm a, I'm a little. Uh, I have an aversion to pain and and like yeah, you know that sort of thing. So <laughs> maybe we could do some welder's gloves or something. Hey, Davy, could you do me a favor? <laughs> could you bend me some plastic? <laughs> I can bring some burn treatment supplies and, if you want. And what was now your theme? Um, you've you're speaking of kind of the differences in the seasons. Tell us a little bit about the theme of your Sylvaneth army. Yeah, so I wanted to not have kind of one big mass of trees. I wanted to 
have things be different. Um, and I did see there was a few really good trees posted that were seasonal that were on Cool Mini um, a while ago, a year and a half or plus like that. And I thought, you know, I really I like that idea of having kind of different trees that are all interacting. So um, what I usually do with all my projects is look up a bunch of pictures and then find some stuff that I think looks cool as an inspiration and use that. And weirdly, even though it's all fantasy stuff, I prefer to use real pictures of things. So I started really, really Google searching and looking up pictures of trees. And I ended up with basically like a white birch tree that has kind of a blue downlight to it. Um, standard brown tree and then um, green tree, which is, Something that you don't see a lot of unless you live in like Arizona or something where the, tr- the bark on the tree itself is actually green. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So I used all of those photo references for color references for my army. Um, and I th- I think they turned out fairly well. And I actually, as, as a shortcut goes, can tell you um, one of the things that I did to knock down the time quite a bit in getting my army done was I two-tone primed with color. Um, hmm. I have an airbrush and I have uh, colored... Uh, primer. So what I did is I took kind of the two main colors that I wanted the trees to be and I mixed up those colors in pri- mostly primer with a little bit of paint or completely primer. Okay. And do kind of the standard Zenithal priming technique where you're kind of doing the whole thing in the darker color and then taking your highlight color and spraying from kind of the point of light onto the model. Yeah. So by doing that, it ends up really rough still, and you have to kind of go back in with inks and highlights and smooth it all off. But you have, you know, roughly 80% of your scheme is kind of laid out and done for you, and you can kind of overlay it from there. Yeah. Have you used that technique on other armies, or was this the first time you busted that out? That was the first time I tried it. Um, I have since done some similar stuff on my death army. Yeah, you're, yeah you've got a lot of, of different... I could definitely tell the, the airbrush basing and getting... Lots of different, you've got a few different kind of blues and greens in your ethereal. Yeah. Talk, talking about color schemes some more here, um, it sounds like you were leaning heavily on real-world real references, right? Uh, sometimes i found I try to do that, and it doesn't translate well because you have to, you have to make some departures to, to make it pop. Did you, did you find the same thing, or did you? Yes. So um, what I ended up doing for a lot of it— let, I've, I felt like kind of a fall tree in itself has enough color going on where it was okay. Mm-hmm. So my brown dryads are just kind of a straight up early fall, multiple leaf color, brown tree color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I was going to do the other sets, um, the green was a little dull and the, the birch was a little, it was very dramatic, but it was not necessarily eye catching with mm-hmm. just blue and white. So, um, on both of those, I ended up kind of thinking about, well, what could I do for sort of the glowing aspect of them? Kind of the, the magic part. The magic part. <laughs> what color magic looks good with what, co- what color magic? What color so, is the magic? <laughs> the an- yeah, the answer is purple for the green ones and yellow for the blue ones. Uh, okay. So I did that on, on the eyes to start out with, and it still wasn't quite enough. So then the thought process was, well, where else is kind of extra magic on the trees. And I figured, you know, they have these claws that kind of reach out out of nowhere and are way bigger at two inches than the model itself is. So that's kind of a good place to show a little bit of extra magic going on. So I, yeah. I went back in and brushed those colors in on the tips of all the, the claws on all of them. Nice. Did you did you have to try a couple different things or did you kind of hit on it right, you know, first attempt? Or do uh, you... 
I mean, you basically came up with like three different army color schemes for one army. (laughs) I have have color ADD. But no, it it did. I actually, I have a journal kind of thing that I keep for painting where I try out stuff that's going to be really intricate. So these were a standard kind of split scheme. Um, Purple and green, I know, work together. Like I said, I've done a bunch of art classes, so I know basic color theory. Mm -hmm. So that part of it I knew would be okay. But usually what I'll do is kind of mix up a couple of them and set it on the paint tray and see if it looks right and kind of custom mix everything until it looks okay. Uh, So I had to do that, but... You, when it went on the model, it was fine. But for things like the Green Knight, um, the Green Knight is actually painted entirely with three colors for all the green and the yellow. Mm-hmm. That's a combination of a brown, kind of an orangish brown, a really bright green, and a really bright yellow that are mixed in different combinations to get all of the different greens that are on the Green Knight. Huh. So to get that right, I had to do a lot of um, kind of trial and error to see exactly how, because I didn't want neon yellow and I didn't want a crazy green going on in there. I wanted everything kind of muted. So when it's a little bit more subtle like that, I do a lot more color planning. Nice. Did you have to, uh, so you talk about the journal, do you have to keep notes on like, here's here's how I achieved, like here's the ratios to get the blend so I can repeat this down the line? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So what I'll do is paint, and then as I'm painting, I'll keep the tubs out and just make quick little notes in pen next to the paint swabs that I do. Very so cool. I know which is which. I feel like I remember my paint combinations better than i remember people's names which is like it's those weird things that stick in your head so i've not done any journaling but also as i've gotten like when i started i had fewer paints and so i'd mix more as i've gotten more paints i mix less Mm. so maybe that's the other part where i'm dealing with yeah less i wish i had the discipline to do that i I still custom mix everything. I don't think that's a discipline. I think <laughs> I don't know that. Yeah, I don't think you should be praising me for not mixing, and not exploring color. I don't know that that's the it's right a way problem, to go. Problem. I can tell you on the occasion <laughs> I don't write it down and I abandon like working on a model for six months and then I go back and look at it. And I'm like, oh my god, what did I use on this? <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, you're writing it down and you're you're dealing with the problem, right? You're uh, seeking help. Right. <laughs> Trying to get better. Uh, so, see, so this. This army, let's see if I get, we um, got the new technique of melting plastics uh, for it. We got the new technique of the color primer and that um, sort of shortcut for highlighting. Is there anything else that was new first time or tried out or tricks that you figured out on this? Affirmation of coloring your magic. Yeah. Yeah. What's your magic color? (laughs) Ask the question. Uh, No, it was kind of different basing for me on this one. I had not used like the the pre-tufted grass mm-hmm. before. And I found a couple different of uh, types of shrubs that I really liked on this one. So I used those quite a bit. And then I also got some flocking, which I hadn't done before, just like Woodland Scenics regular type flocking. It actually comes with a bunch of weird long strands running through it. So I had to take it apart and slap it back together to make all the moss on my bases. But it was good. It was basically me running around to a bunch of hobby stores and seeing what worked. Yeah, I think I'm looking at them now. I think what works nicely is... Uh and I've heard this from other places, you got uh, multiple different textures. So rather than just like, Hey, here's some sand and it's colored right. and highlighted and looks like it's a, a rock and all, all these multiple textures of, of uh, the flock and tufts and all that sort of thing. It really makes it real and ties it together. makes it seem like a living, breathing thing. Was this another thing where you use real world references to uh, build up something or was it just kind of eyeball it? And- uh, so for the stuff that is on the bases, it's basically I look out my window because I'm 
in the Pacific Northwest, which is a rainforest. So I have plenty of green tree references around here. So getting the moss color reference right was important. And then getting kind of a different green for the shrub part was important. So I ended up ordering like six different kinds of these tufts. Oh, wow. I ended up only using one for everything. <laughs> That's where I've been having my blockage. I, I do quite a bit of um, – so for my undead, I basically painted my tufts and then dry brushed them whatever color I wanted, which is just a dull monochromatic color. But I've I've got the variation on, like, the texture. Mm-hmm. I'm getting better at that and height and different stuff like that. But I can't for the life of me through the internet kind of pick – the right foliage, mm. right? Pick the right kind of tufts. I happened to pick up some Warlord ones that I thought were going to work for my Stormcast. I put it on there. I'm like, nope, that don't work. <laughs> they work really well for my the orc accidentally um, because they really tie in with the, the greens and the orc and some other things. But I, I, yeah, like I think you almost have to order like yeah, a ton of Yeah, what I'm hearing is the Kelly route is order six and, you know. Pick, yeah. If you have a success rate of 16%, then you're rocking. There's a burn rate here. <laughs> don't get the big ones, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can get big, big packages of all of them. Get, like, the sample size because they're, you know, five bucks a piece instead of being 20 yep. bucks a piece. Yep. So, you know, yeah, and that's the tough part is that not a lot of places stock all this stuff. So, yeah, having to order and experiment and uh, to get those bases looking really cool. Um, no, that's, that's pretty awesome. Anything else you want to share with us about the kind of the, the – what you've poured into this project um that really covered most of it that's pretty much everything start to finish so the uh the big push for this army was adepticon so the next thing we're gonna do we're gonna hop to the campaign phase and talk to you a little bit about your uh, experiences playing this uh on on the table i guess mostly at adepticon and wherever else you've gotten to run the sylvaneth the campaign phase Yeah, so as far as overall play style, um, I got the Sylvaneth Army because I thought they looked cool, and I've been paying ever since. So (laughs) there there are a lot of really cool dynamics to the army. Um, You mentioned earlier that they teleport. Yes, they do. Uh, They also summon, so you can use your Branch Wraith to summon more dryads. Um, they get a buff if they're within a certain area of the wildwood, and then uh, the larger guys can actually teleport between wildwoods. So you can do quite a bit with it, but you really have to be on top of what's going on in the whole game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm struggling with in being a less experienced tournament player or game player in this respect in general is really seeing the whole table and knowing the opponent's army and knowing where they can move things and kind of anticipating that and getting a wildwood down and transporting a giant guy to tear people's faces off in that area is what I'm working on currently. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I feel like I generally consider there's there's several tiers of, of understanding the game. There's understanding the basic rules, kind of the first thing that people get. Then there's understanding your own army, which is the next thing. And once you've got that down, probably that, that that's a bit of a plateau there because there's so much more past your army once you once you are there you got to learn what everyone else's stuff does and that's the that's the hard part yep. especially in AOS where yeah. the, you know there's so much uh, so much stuff is on the scrolls themselves mm-hmm. uh, which oddly though makes it easier to read through yeah. i think and go and yeah. research other people's stuff but uh, also leaves some kind of hidden things like you know you forgot that third ability on that second hero in that army or whatever now right. you've got you've also got um, the Sylvaneth are a faction that kind of have a limited palette if you, you know, yes. with type unit types, right? You've got the Sylvan, in the book release, it's the Sylvaneth, the Tree Lord, and the Tree Man Ancient. Right. Um, 
and you know the tree kin are still around and Durthu, uh, and I see one of your models is painted as as Durthu with his big flaming sword. Do, do you feel like the variety is there? Does you know did that kind of push you to bring in the the Bretonian, the Green Knight, and the and the lady? It did. I wanted a little bit um, added mobility, so all of the big guys move five inches a piece, which wow. is a bit of a plod. Um, if you get your wildwoods where you want them, then great. You can go wherever you want on the board. But if you don't, you're kind of slowly trucking to wherever you want to go and you have no range. So mm, I was right. originally playing them with, um, archers, wood elf archers, mm-hmm. which I probably would bring back again. Um, and then I also had some sisters of the thorn that I was playing them with that are not quite put together yet, but I would nice. play them with those too. Yeah. I can see that being pretty nifty. Um, no, and they can, they can tie in pretty nicely. Uh, yeah. Well, what's nice about that, yeah, that teleportation movement, there's a lot of armies that have kind of that instant in-your-face capability. But, yeah, this requires your terrain to be in the right place to get mm-hmm. that as opposed to a particular model that teleports or, you know, being able to burrow underground or, you know, whatever. So it's it's definitely a flavorful dynamic but a little trickier to pull off to, to kind of get that movement. I can see that. Um, now, as far as have you, have you thought about actually going Bretonian with the, the peasant bowman? And I, I mean, I know that they're I a have, little... yes, I have the, fu- okay. So I, I should say I have a, a full Bretonian army. Um, okay. I've always, and I, they're not put together, <laughs> they're not put <laughs> together. Uh, but I got Bretonians well before I got the Sylvanith. I got those probably i started on the bretonians five years ago and just got the stuff that i liked to paint and then when the rumors were going around that they were getting discontinued i actually bought an entire army list for them just to make sure that i'd have them so i have like the horrible all metal trebuchets that you open it and it's like lincoln logs (laughs) i have two or three of those i have all the peasants i have a full sizable bretonian army so I do plan at some point to get that put together. Um, that was kind of my big driver to do the Green Knight, is I had a really big goal to do Bretonians in a little bit more like realistic and gritty style, because you always see them in very kind of red, yellow, blue, totally clean, which always has kind of bothered yeah. me. I'm like, there are a bunch of guys running around on horses. Like, yeah. there's stuff on the horse. So <laughs> I've always wanted to do Bretonians that are kind of in the mud, grossed up, downtrodden people. Nice. Yeah, I think of that, uh, was it, Excalibur in that movie it got really muddy and yeah. muddy and bloody on the on the armor yeah so very cool how about Stormcast now like I mentioned earlier Stormcast can have accidentally quite a bit of shooting and per this story um, you thinking about adding any Stormcast to your Sylvaneth I would consider it yeah um, I have the whole starter box so I have a fair amount already that are put together but are not painted right now so they're in my large list of maybe this could work kind of things yeah well then if you know if you did the sylvaneth army you could certainly do this scene in the death blooms at the at the, before they get onto the ice but if you got a lord castellan <laughs> you could do the scene when they get off the ice in that circle of many years so yeah you know, just think and i think that. i might need to make a guy with a vine hand oh yes oh. all right nice. <laughs> cool well, so bring it back to Adepticon here. We, we talked about some of the stuff you w- might put in, but here, what I know about your Adepticon experience is that you got to play Wayne the game 
and uh, he he killed your branch wraith. But that's that's about all I know. So what <laughs> what uh, what kind of experiences? Uh, what did you learn about some, your army? Hit us some highlights. Uh, maybe maybe MVP from the uh, that sort of thing. So um, well, everybody I played was that was the biggest takeaway. Was everybody was really nice. Um, it was my first kind of major tournament and i was not as quick with everything as everybody else was but everybody that i played games with were really nice people um i don't have a whole lot to say about strategy as far as the game goes but i can talk for hours and hours about hobbying so that's kind of what ended up happening for most of my games is we were playing a game and then also talking about a lot of hobby stuff um and especially with wayne that was kind of funny we got you know with the scenario that we had it was the one where you have the messenger on one end of the table and it's trying to get to the other side of the table and i was really screwed for that scenario because <laughs> i don't have any shooting so uh, wayne and and wayne was running a bunch of rats with guns yeah so he was nice enough to say why don't we just have me have the courier and i'll try to run it over to the other side and i still did a, a major snafu um, I probably should have just stayed back and let him attempt to run up and deal with him when he got closer and split him up a little bit. But instead, like a jerk, I just ran all of my guys up. And then as soon as I did that, I was like, why did I just do that? So <laughs> I basically lost the game at that point. So it was kind of just fun chatting from there on out. But things did last the majority of the game. And it was it was kind of interesting with the back and forth. Um, he did eventually kill my branch wraith, which made me really sad. But we got to the end of the game and he had not gotten the messenger very far so um it got down to a role of you know getting within six inches of the end of the table movement and he was running them up and he got the last role he did got him to five inches within the edge of the table so he won so that oh. was it was a really fun one nice very cool. but overall i was i was really um impressed and excited to do more of the hobby with just meeting everybody there and seeing all the different armies and interacting with everybody during the games. It was a lot of fun. So now that you're moving from Adepticon, which historically has been where people play hard to win, and and you went with a hobby tone to your game, now going to Holy Havoc where narrative rules, now you're going to prepare to smash face. That's <laughs> is that an accurate portrayal? Now, now you're getting down to business. <laughs> You guys are going to have hell to pay. Damn it, no. (laughs) You're going to stick it to us. What? Trees. Yeah, no, I got it. Yeah, no. I already told you all the bad stuff about my army, so now you haven't ever... (laughs) Yeah, we have have a... Extensive document with uh, we got we're putting push pins and strings. Well, I'm gonna our... I'm gonna build my Sylvaneth just so that I, that Davey and I can practice against <laughs> against your exact Adepticon army. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> now we know who it, who we need to beat. So, um, no, that's fantastic, and and you know I'm really glad to obviously glad that your work in the hobby is definitely something that we've all been able to enjoy on Twitter and and like you said. And, and everybody on Twitter, and if you're not on Twitter, you need to get on Twitter and be inspired by all the other, um, you know, amazing creatives and even people that are just creating cool stuff um, in terrain or whatever. Um, but then I'm really glad that uh, it kind of got you into the game as well and, and that the, the game itself feeds your, you know, what you like about um, painting miniatures and putting them on the table and stuff because, yeah, it's been really cool having you um, here on the podcast and then but also – you know, in the, in the community, you know, sharing your, your talents. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's great to, uh, 
to get the feedback from everybody and, you know, meet, I've met a lot of new people just from posting things on Twitter and going to Adepticon and talking with people. It's great. So where can people um, go and follow you to see more of your army, uh, see what you're doing and, uh, you know, ask you for tips and, and tricks? Yeah, now that we've talked about all these pictures, uh, they can go back <laughs> after the fact and take a look. Where are these pictures? Um, so my Twitter is Kelfry. It's K-E-L-F-R-E-I. And I post everything on there. If you have any questions, please ask me. I'm happy to answer. Um, I try to post as much as I can about stuff. On this last round of trees, I didn't post uh, my paints list. So I'll probably take care of that. But I've had a couple people ask if I do painting tutorials. And I have not as of yet. But I'm starting to kind of figure out little bit by bit about how to do short videos and stuff like that. So any questions, I'm happy to answer. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, bringing your hobby to all this. And uh, we'll probably try and post a couple of things up in our forum on tga.community as well. Um, So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Our time has expired, and it's time for our reforging. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mortal Realms Podcast. If you know someone who's curious about Age of Sigmar, tell them about this podcast. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, at Mortal Realms, Davey is at Red underscore Zeke, and Eric is at StoneMonkGamer. For Sigmar! For Sigmar! Blood for the blood god.